we don't talk about the difficult things in jiu-jitsu. We talk about the great things. We talk about the BJJ lifestyle and people like, oh man, if you could be in SoCal and like acai and surfing. And I've met dudes in San Diego. They're like, that's literally their lives. They're like, yeah, man, I was surfing this morning. And then they wandered in the mats. Like, that's awesome. I don't know if I want to live seven guys to a house personally, but if that's your bay, like go for it. You know, we talk about these great things. And I, and like now I talk about like the great impact that jujitsu's had on me it's super fucking tough like mentally like the easiest part about getting your black belt in jujitsu is the jujitsu the hardest part about getting your black belt is showing up to do the jujitsu like life gets in the way like i walked away from the mat and people arguably pulled me back onto it i was ready to leave my life changed my priorities changed but jujitsu was not the most important thing to me what is up everybody and welcome back to the pohada podcast this is me once again matt browse of pohada photography and another installment of the booze with a black belt series and this time around the episode sponsor is the episode guest mr john grills outside of being pretty good at jujitsu john is also a pro podcaster and he's helping me out with some sound stuff to make my show better so thanks john you're pretty okay if you're a horror fan like me, check out John's podcast, the Creepy Horror Podcast for Scary Stories, as well as the Bloody Disgusting Podcast to hear other dorks talk about their dorky stuff. Today, I and my guest had reverse roles, him going off on tangents, albeit very interesting and useful tangents, and me trying to steer the ship. Either way, with Polly's help, this episode is another example of dorks talking about their dorky stuff. Without further ado, my conversation with Bear Grills. No, John Grills. Well, that's what I was talking about the other day at the gym. Uh, I was talking with Mark Nicolo because, you know, we were warming up or doing something. And I was like, I was like, God, it's so fucking weird. Because, like, I started doing this in 2007. And I started a gym that didn't have a black belt. Like, I didn't roll with a black belt for, like, the first year and a half that I did jujitsu. And now, like, I just look down the line. It's like there were seven of us. Mm -hmm. Like, it, the game is so weird. It used to be you could count all the black belts in Minnesota on two hands for sure. I think there was, like, six or seven black belts when I started. And now it's like the gym probably most or a lot of gyms have six or seven. It's so weird now. Yeah, well, just the wall of pictures at M-Theory is. Yeah, it's just nuts. It's crazy. And, I mean, and. And it's, you know, part of it too. And, and I see like guys that I started doing jujitsu with or I used to do tournaments against like, and they're getting their black belts and, and guys at the gym that I even started, like I started doing jujitsu with like me here, like we were at the same place. Like he had started before, or I don't know if Charlie Schultz yeah. is still at the gym. Yeah. Like Mar Charlie morning class regularly. Yeah. Me and Charlie like started like the same day or like the same oh, yeah. week or yeah. something. And like Dan Schneider crowd. And I think, and later on it was like Dave score. And like, so like as much as people do drop out of jujitsu, like it's not like people get promoted alone. It's not like you suddenly become a brown belt and you don't recognize anybody. It's just like the herd just starts to thin a little bit, and it's like okay, you just kind of get used to it. But and yeah, then there's some the people. The thin herd like, is thicker than ever, though, right? Like the thinned out ranks are more than ever. More people survive the ranks as more people do it. Yes. No. Yeah. I don't fucking know. Oh, okay. I think the statistic probably still holds true. It's like 1% of people who start oh, yeah, yeah. get the black belt or whatever. Right. But you're right. But if, 
but like we were saying with the gym, there's so many people at the gym right now that by sheer volume of numbers, that 1% is just a bigger number. Yeah. yeah it used yeah. to be that 1% meant one. Right. <laughs> and now that 1% might mean five or 10 or whatever. The relative figure. Yeah. Yeah. Versus the raw data. Yeah. And now I'm all about the raw data. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> That's what happens when you start drinking before you start. <laughs> You don't normally start drinking before? Did you start jiu-jitsu in 2007, you said? I did. When did you start at M-Theory? Um, or was that your second gym? No, it was my fourth. Okay. Uh, my jiu-jitsu journey is zigzaggy as shit. Tell me about stop number two and three. Okay. We'll start there. That's good, because I don't want to talk I about know. stop one. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, stop one is fine. A lot of people had stop one, and I just don't do it. I just don't talk about it because I don't have super positive things to say about the place i just love the people and i think that's what also gets people stuck in a really bad environment in jujitsu fair where they talk about like like they don't like the head coach or they don't like the gym or they don't like the policy or whatever but they're like oh but my training partners i could never leave them i'm like that's 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 admirable and noble but that's a horrible reason to keep doing anything is just because you feel bad leaving someone else in an environment that they might be feel fine with but feels toxic to you Especially depending on what the taint is. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, my second stop, though, getting back on a more positive note. Uh, are we recording? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Might want to edit a couple things at the beginning for when you're upstairs. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna cut out some <laughs> of that talk for sure. I'm. Oh, I don't edit these. We just throw them up. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna listen to the raw audio because again, if you if you ruin the audio on this, you will just destroy my life. Yeah. So you'll. Oh, you're into raw audio, but not raw data. Okay. Yes yeah well stop number two let's do stop this. number two uh stop number two open my, was massively important for me in jiu-jitsu and probably sticking with jiu-jitsu i started training at McCune's martial arts in brooklyn park mm-hmm. or brooklyn center it's tough it's on the border One I of those. <laughs> it's by the fleet farm up 169 and i my wife and i had just bought a house and it kind of turned into this opportunity of i'm like oh, i don't really like this environment that i'm in but I got stuck in the same position that a lot of people feel like, oh, I don't think I have a good excuse to leave. Whereas the reality is your excuse to leave a gym is I'm paying you money. I can quit. I can leave. I don't like this. You don't, you shouldn't feel bad. You don't have to apologize to an instructor. Again, this isn't feudal Japan. We're not like, we're, we're not betrothed to someone. Like it's, you're, you're paying a money. They're teaching you in exchange for currency. It's a capitalistic society. And I can do whatever I want. Kind of, to Just, a certain extent, yeah. I mean, like, I can know. do anything I want with my money. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you can say, I paid you 150 bucks this month. Fuck you, I'm not going to do this technique. <laughs> Which I've seen at seminars. That's a that's a completely different subject, though. That's a weird conversation. I, we'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> um, there's a seminar coming up this weekend, so it might be looking for some tools yeah again i'm going to apologize for the zigzaggy route that my mind usually goes in once i actually start talking this is a booze centered podcast so people are used to it i'm on my way so i started training at chris mccune's uh and actually i just i stopped in because i kind of googled like brazilian jiu-jitsu around where i was moving to and chris only is chris's gym is like three miles from my house and i stopped in just out of curiosity i'd never been to another gym before um the environment i'd come from was so closed off like it just seemed really weird and i went in chris like just crazy nice guy coming like big smile on his face like how's it going like oh yeah come on the mat check it out 
go in they're like playing music they're telling jokes i'm like what's going on here i came from a place where there was you did not play music it was super like bowing like you did not show up late for class otherwise you'd be like invited on the mat and all this stuff it was super 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 old school mentality which there were a few guys from the twin cities that really established that really old school feel that kind of started around the same time and i went and i rolled to chris's and i'm just like you guys seem to be having fun here and i dig it i'm just confused by it mm-hmm. but at the same time by the end of the first class i was like yeah i'm gonna come here like i don't want to be at the other place anymore and so I, you did the class you didn't just pop in and like watch stuff you no yeah in. i did okay. i joined the class yeah I, I i stepped on the mat and i rolled with the guys and stuff and um and i was with chris so chris gave me my first rank in brazilian jiu-jitsu i didn't get i wasn't the guy like we didn't have it's complicated so old gym i was at you could get stripes on your belt but it was insanely difficult and you could only get it from a certain person because we didn't have a black belt so they didn't give out stripes or even brazilian jiu-jitsu rank for the major clue for where i started yeah and so i (laughs) I was gonna say that all the details so far have given it away yeah they're all there so it's fine if you really want me to talk about it i'll do it in person but no we'll just keep calling it the nook (laughs) is the gym you went to perfect (laughs) They they make an amazing juicy Lucy. Just gonna say awesome burgers. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hold on, drink. Mm. Mm. Three way drink. So. <laughs> Social. Anyway, if, we can play presidents and assholes later too. If this gets too boring for people. Uh, but I I went and I rolled at Chris's and Chris gave me my first Brazilian Jiu Jitsu rank or I got my blue belt. I didn't get stripes for had my blue belt. I just got my blue belt. And from there like it just kind of like i just really started liking jujitsu like it was just it was such a more laid-back environment i got way more into competition i think i did i probably only did i'll do competition stories later but i think i only did like two or three competitions beforehand and also when i started it was really hard to do competitions doing jujitsu in minnesota our only options were the submission hunt and like that's just what it was and if you want to do anything else you had to go out of state and even out of state options were pretty tough. You could do Naga, which you probably had to go out to Milwaukee or Chicago or further. I don't think, I don't even know if IBJJF was doing Chicago at the time. It was pretty tough. And Naga wasn't being run really well. The Naga Chicago event didn't end until after like midnight. So they had to switch it into a two day event. I remember I did one in a really rough neighborhood in Chicago. And I was like the last match as a purple belt. And I think we got there at like eight and didn't get out of there till like six or something. Like it was such a long day. And you just get so frustrated because you're looking at the empty mats. Like, just let me roll so I can leave and go home. Yeah, that's that's pretty god awful. There's three empty mats and you're waiting oh, for your match to so get called. Like we could do it. We all know how to do this sport, right? I know. It's just like grab a ref. Honestly, we'll we'll do points ourselves. We'll figure I'll yell it out. I'll yell out sweet points as they're happening. Is this is this where Rocco's story comes from? Was that an Iger competition? Did he oh, was he one of the midnight? Oh, I'm sure I'm sure it was that event. He's got an awesome story. Because that was the last time. It's terrible, that, but awesome. <laughs> that was the last time that Naga Chicago was a one-day event. They stopped doing kids and teens the same day after that because it took too long. It had to be adults one day, kids and teens the next day because the kids didn't get done till like one, two in the afternoon or something. And then you had to run through all the other divisions. 
which again, starting at white belt always annoyed me. It's like, why does a black belt have to wait to roll till midnight and a white belt can have all their matches and done like first and grapplers quest used to do it flip flop. And I appreciated that more. Cause it's like perfect upper belt, black belt can compete and then be done. And then coaches guys, instead of being super stressed out, coaching his guys and then have to compete. That's so backwards. Well, that's a huge point. I hadn't even like considered it that way. Cause like, the the day gets better as you go on. So when like powerlifting meets, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier because the people get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. But it's also that point of like, well, they've been doing competitions for ten years with us and paying dues, and they've been at this a long time. Yeah. And yeah, they're there to coach more than likely. Also. Yeah. Let them go first. Yeah. Just let them get it That's out of the way. That's a fair damn point. Yeah. Not only that, but my opinion was always well. Most more often than not, white belts will compete and then leave. Yes. How would yes. you watch the black belts compete and not force them to wait until the end of the night to see the highest level guys do it? Like put them up front, showcase it, have it be like super fights or whatever, but just let them do their thing first. Let people understand the complexity or the level that they can get to, whatever. And worst case scenario, if they complain, say, fuck you. Or stay in this longer then. Now you get to go first. Right, right. Like don't necessarily reward, just get white belts out of the way. Well, and you're maybe, you're maybe going a ways to like get those white belts back for a, another competition. That's Who, what I'm guessing. Yeah, so they're how not many one-off white belts are there? Because I went and I did it and I left. And that was the extent of my connection to it. Yeah. But if like I got to see what this can look like, yeah, and then go and try and do it. Yeah, and I did a grappler's quest out in Vegas, and like, and they do it the opposite. So they they did this massive super fight with like Jeff Glover and Justin Raider and stuff up front, and then they're like, okay, we're done with the super fights, you guys, everyone else, go do your match. It's like perfect because it was also awesome to see them like compete when they were like really like like Jeff Glover was. A, a big deal but he wasn't like the jeff glover that people have come to know him through like metamorris and his adcc bronze and everything else so it's like yeah you get these, this chance to see these guys that are going to become huge and then jeff glover gets to fucking go home and enjoy the rest of his yeah, day he can like just be done <laughs> you know that they hang around till 6 p.m or yeah whatever. exactly like make him just like be tense because they're also rolling for money so there's probably some mm-hmm. anxiety going on you just gotta like sit there like burning out from like you have like an adrenaline dump just from anxiety like Your donuts wear off by the time you're rolling it just all well, that just ruins it like mm. you're just wasting a good old-fashioned donut at that mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. <laughs> you you said you did not compete much previous to getting that blue belt that sorry yeah. <laughs> tangents yeah i'm actually kind of getting good at this i've made a <laughs> mental note i'm like all right we got way way off track okay that was good you pulled us back from a long way down yeah, the road yeah. too uh yeah i didn't so there was like basically the submission hunt was the options and then as a blue belt a few more local options started opening up uh minnesota collie group started hosting like one or two a year that turned into like another option that you could do um i think doc's gym uh, which is mostly known for judo. Like they did like a combination like judo jujitsu competition. I think there was like eight of us there for the jujitsu competition. So it just turned into like an open weight tournament sort of thing. Um, and then uh, like the grappling games over in Hudson. I don't, I think their first one, I didn't go to their, I didn't go to their first one. I went to their second one and I was a blue belt. So I think even as a white belt, I wouldn't have had an option. So like when I got to my like when I got my blue belt, I think I did like six, seven, eight tournaments that year or something. Like anything I could, I did. 
and and I did pretty good. And and then I got promoted to purple belt. I was only a blue belt for a year. Um <laughs> which maybe off mic stories is my feelings about rank in Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I spent I spent like a year and a half as a white belt because of the system I was under. And then Chris saw me, he's like, oh, okay. Like most people you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu for about a year consistently, you're ready for your blue belt. And I was under a system where it's like, no, you need to do it for like four or five years, don't you? Like this is crazy talk. <laughs> it's like, oh no, that's not the way this works. I gotcha. Um, and then. Was that the part that was supposed to be off mic? No. Okay. <laughs> There's another part that's off mic okay. for sure. We'll keep talking and drinking and see where we go. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> find our way back. back. We'll get there. Yeah. You, if Polly keeps pouring out these Altasoros, we might get there. <laughs> uh, so I got to purple. I was a blue belt for a year. I got my purple belt uh, for, like at a Hegan seminar, and which was also rough because I was signed up to do a Naga event in Las Vegas as a blue belt. And I was like, blue belt, intermediate. And I got my purple belt the week before that tournament. And so I had like contact Naga. I'm like, oh, I just got promoted to purple belt. And they're like, okay, just tell the table when you get there. I'm like, it's not going to be a problem. Like, no, don't worry about it. Like the table fix. I'm like, oh, perfect. (laughs) Show up, get there. I'm like, hi, I know I'm signed up for blue belt intermediate and for intermediate for Nogi. And, but I just got promoted to purple belt and they're like, okay. And like they change it and they hand it to me and it says like purple belt and advanced. And I was like, uh, no, I'm doing intermediate nogi. They're like, no, you're doing advanced. I was like, why? Because you're a purple belt. I'm like, yeah, but I've only been doing this for like four years and advanced is five plus years of combined grappling experience. They're like, it doesn't matter. You're a purple belt. You qualify. I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus. Why, like, why couldn't you just say I'm still a blue belt? And compete as a blue belt with my purple belt? I mean, they don't know you have it. What's the point? I always tell people that where someone's like, oh man, like there's only like one guy in my division for novice. It's like, then do beginner. Like, just go up. I mean, frankly, that's the best case scenario. If you compete up a division, yeah, that's like the best scenario you could possibly have. Because if you lose, who cares? But if you win, like that like changes the game Absolutely. for you. Yeah. Like, and I don't even mean as like a strategy so that I hope this goes better. I just mean for the smoothness of the fucking day. Oh, like, I, well, I, I got know. my purple belt three days ago. I'm just not going to tell them because how much of a difference would it be? Nah, it wasn't worth it. Okay. Fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it's a good. And, and honestly, it never even occurred to me. It never occurred to me to lie. Like, cause that, I also just would have felt shitty. Well, I just felt shitty for two reasons. One, if I win, I'm like, yeah, but I'm really a purple belt. What if I fucking lost at purple <laughs> belt? Or like, as a purple belt, losing a blue belt division, I'd have been like, this like destroyed <laughs> everything in my world right, all of a sudden right didn't which isn't to say that a, a blue belt couldn't beat me now because a blue belt like world-class competitor totally could because i'm just a hobbyist so versus some kid who's literally trains six hours a day six days a week like i can't keep up with my one night a week jujitsu anymore right, right. i might be able to pull out some weird bullshit they've never seen before but I can't keep up with like that level of athleticism and muscle memory and everything else. Um, so yeah, so I competed way more at purple or blue belt, a little at purple, but unfortunately, especially at the time, the field starts to get really thin at purple belt locally. And it was also kind of this gray area of 
people be becoming like head instructors or gym owners like around purple belt because it still wasn't uncommon for blue belts to try opening up their own gyms when i started like now i think it'd be really really weird to hear a gym opening and it was like a blue belt like do you do anything else like do you do muay thai do you do teach yoga crossfit anything else like right. no i just do jitsu like, are you are you kidding me like you drive you can drive 30 minutes and any direction in the twin cities and find a gym that's got a half dozen black belts at least like that'd be so weird for a blue belt to suddenly be like yeah this is what i want to do with my life yeah like 12 minutes from where we're sitting right now is three of your better options for gyms with oh. a, a combined like 35 black belts at least you yeah. know and i'm just thinking straight north and straight south like it doesn't really and and that's not to say that i never considered owning a gym because i almost i actually almost did um i this guy i'm going to try not to give too many details about this basically i kind of <laughs> got talked into being a partial owner of a gym and this was before i got my purple belt like right before i got my purple belt guy found a space it was like it was like saint paul by snelling there was no competition whatsoever around saint paul what's for gyms he had this business plan like we'll run yoga and da 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 to fill the gaps but it was still like best case scenario 30 minute drive for me without traffic but it was kind of like oh, but i could be like be in on this and like this could be a thing and like my job sucked i wasn't making any money like you still have those like daydreams of being a gym owner and like just getting to train and stuff like that and fortunately the day i was going to sign the contract and like hand him my percentage of money he literally moved out of state without telling anybody because like if I had given him the money and like signed it over to like be on the lease and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, he lives in West Virginia now. Like, uh, what? And he didn't tell anybody. And he went and he started working for like this other affiliation. And he just like, he just like ditched everyone, which in hindsight was the best thing that possibly could have mm -hmm. happened to me mm -hmm. that I didn't get involved in a guy who hindsight being what it is, I should also run a criminal like background check on <laughs> to find out things i found out yeah, later yeah yeah and then some other people were like oh no we knew that about him it's like why the fuck didn't you tell yeah. me about it <laughs> shoot me an email <laughs> yeah, just something like hey little heads up are you sure you want to do right, this right nothing it's your yeah, money that's, but that's pretty shit so like i mean in in like months leading up to it you had had all these conversations about it yeah this wasn't like hey last year we chatted about this idea now i'm gone it no, was we'd like, been to the space we checked it out wow we were like figuring out schedules and all this other stuff and it was so close to changing my life for the worse in so many ways yeah because you uh you'd be on the hook yeah presumably if, if paperwork got signed you'd be on the hook for the space and the lease i'd be on that and then i would also be tied to that guy's reputation Who's, yeah was not a reputation i wanted to be bigger tied to. bigger issue for and sure. then you're stuck legally with that too and that's right right god it would have been a horrible mess did you say you got a purple belt from hegan uh technically well, he yeah hegan was here so i got my purple belt from chris mm -hmm. um with yeah. hegan present yes it was at a hegan seminar that's pretty sweet yeah no hegan's awesome hegan <laughs> hegan is an amazing character in brazilian jiu-jitsu for a lot of reasons is it because he was in jiu-jitsu starring nicholas cage i didn't know he was in that i was gonna say was is that him was in it i was gonna say he was in kickboxer three. Oh, that's much with, better uh whatever the guy's name from step by step was <laughs> yeah, yeah. cody or the yeah, dad got, no the guy who played cody yeah. cody was in there <laughs> well he's the guy who like took over as a kickboxer role in kickboxer yeah, yeah, two and yeah, three yeah. <laughs> He, Hegan was in jiu-jitsu Paulie, right that that terrible terrible Nicholas Cage Nick movie Cage that movie. doesn't actually feature jiu-jitsu I did hear that but I haven't seen it yet 
if there's if it, Hall- does, it has a guy inside control yeah at one point yeah that then gets an arm bar, but oh. the arm bar is on the wrong side of the body from where the side control was. Beautiful. But the, the editing staff obviously didn't is not terribly familiar with jiu-jitsu. So see oh, that well. that couldn't have been Hegan then because Hegan would have just tapped you a side control. No, Hegan was in a Hobbit outfit looking pudgy in the background <laughs> of several scenes. You know, and I'm I'm not trying to trash anybody that could break my arm, but like you could tell it was like those best intentions getting involved in a project, mm. get a little money, and then you go, oh, wait, this is the project. Ugh. Well, Hegan's super fascinating because he saw maybe outside like Corey and Gracie who got the UFC kicked off, like Hegan's eye on Hollywood like money is like he's there. Like he's figuring out like how to get the celebrities involved. Like he's the one who introduced like the celebrity program where celebrities weren't attending classes with anyone they were just doing privates with him and getting ranked through him without being in normal group classes that was smart take some of the bullshit out of their process and- uh, it, some of that and actually that's also the way jujitsu used to be even down in brazil like it just used to be privates it didn't right. used to be group classes it used to be one-on-one and when brazilian jiu-jitsu first came to america i, I might get this wrong i think richard bressler was the first american to start doing jujitsu back in like 1979 or 1980 and he and even he's like you could only do privates it was like 10 bucks for a half hour out in the garage or whatever yeah there were no there just weren't classes like it was like this small group and then he started getting like guys like in the dirty dozen and chris howder and who saw where the ball was going and then hoist does what he does in the ufc and all of a sudden the classes explode and chris howder is kind of funny because he talks about how he's kind of disappointed by like he knew what hoist was going to do but he was also disappointed that it happened because like the secret got out yeah because like the guys who were inside were like no we like we get what's going on here like not only did they know about like the greasy challenge videos but they've been involved in them like they'd been the guys who were in the classes where all of a sudden like hoist would come up and be like uh my friend how much do you weigh <laughs> and he'd be like uh 155 pounds oh that's good we have a guy coming in who's 155 you're gonna you're gonna do the challenge tonight and they said most of the time nobody would show up and sometimes it was because guys would call and be like oh we're gonna challenge we're gonna challenge you guys like i got this and then they wouldn't show up because they were full of shit but the theory was also that the gracies were trying to see who they could trust so like no one actually called but they'd like go up to someone and be like you ready to fight tonight we're gonna do a gracie challenge and like you're up like they wanted to see if the guy was gonna say um no i don't want to do that or i got your back sort of thing Sort of like an Americanized way to do the challenge fights on the beach back in in Brazil. Like literally one group of guys rolling up sharks and jets on another group of guys. We can't really probably get away with that in this culture. But you can get away with somebody saying, hey, I want to test your gym tonight. I'll be there at six. Yeah, the old dojo storm days, which happen a little bit now with supposed like fake black belts and stuff, which... That's a YouTube rabbit hole people can do on their own. And it's just, it's unbelievable that in this day and age, like how are you trying to fake that you're a black belt? That's crazy. There's so much information out there. Like when I started, basically was no YouTube. Like it's not like I could just go and like check out instructionals or something. And and I said like when I started as if it was like the 1980s, but (laughs) you know, like now there's so much information available. And you had guys like Marcelo who really led the way, who instead of selling instructionals were like, I'm going to videotape all my roles. I'm going to videotape all my classes. I'm going to put them out there for free. This is what I do. Now beat me. (laughs) 
and people fucking couldn't <laughs> like they still lost except for robert drysdale which is shrouded in all kinds of conspiracy mm-hmm, theory mm-hmm. Now but that's too. how you level up the game overall is yeah lay all the cards on the table let's go but that's that's a insanely revolutionary uh take on brazilian jiu-jitsu from a culture that started out with this whole crianche bullshit where oh you're gonna go to another gym you're a traitor you're just gonna tell them like our secrets tell me crianche sounds like a type of bread uh, yeah so crianche it's actually spelled c-r-e-o-n-t-e but it's pronounced crianche and i can't remember who it was if it was car it might have been carlos senior uh i guess he really liked soap operas like one of the the elder gracies really liked soap operas and there was this one character his name was crianche but he was super shady and he was always double crossing people so it turned into a name where if you switch gyms they'd call you a crianche because you were a traitor you oh you're gonna go to that gym and tell them our secrets because everything was so closed off it's like a uh, american revolution guy you're uh benedict arnold thank you same yeah. kind of deal right basically yeah and unfortunately to this day some there's still a lot of old school aspects where people are like that we're like fucking traitor you want you switched affiliations what are you kidding me again capitalism yeah right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm paying you money right i don't owe you anything you owe me lessons <laughs> like, and that give you that's money. maybe even a throwback back farther to the japanese roots like yeah exactly samurais were slaves right yeah this isn't feudal japan like this isn't i'm not i'm paying for a service yeah i'm not indentured to like some master like i'm not having to worry about being a ronin and whatever it's literally i'm just gonna go to this other gym because i like their schedule better yeah or (laughs) my work schedule changed and they have 6 a.m classes right yeah it's like nothing and it's like see you later like like if you want to go anything beyond that fine if you want to be like Hey man, I love your classes. It's nothing against you. Like if you want to worry about like someone's ego in that aspect, because it's it's still a business. I get that. Telling someone like if you want to like lessen that blow or like not burn a bridge. Like why burn a bridge from a gym that you left unless you really know you're never gonna go back and you hate them for some reason. Right. But, but also why burn a bridge from with a student that left? Well, exactly. And well, you know. and that was the. And that's what I never understood because I know guys to this day that are like that. Like if you leave their gym for another affiliation, you are not allowed back. And it's like, are you, are you stupid? You're, you're not allowing me to pay you 200 bucks a month to come here two years from now when I move. Exactly. That's stupid. Or, or <laughs> frankly, stupid. or I go to that gym and I think it's going to be one thing and it's not. And I'm like, come back. Like, you know what? I made a mistake. Or can I start classes again? Because like the old saying is like if if a student's gonna leave, never say don't go. Just say show me what you learned when you came back. Like, and more often than not, they do in some capacity or another. You just you keep that bridge open. But money screws up everything, and it turns into like this personal slight from people if you say this isn't for me. Like all of a sudden it's like an attack on your masculinity or something because you're like, I just like how that person teaches class. The, the, the handful of people I've talked to in the very short amount of time I've been around that have switched gyms, it's exclusively been like a teaching style thing. Yeah. We don't all learn from the same people the same way, et cetera. Like, of course, somebody's going to leave your gym. You know what I mean? Like something's going to be closer. Somebody's going to have a different personality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, unfortunately, I feel like one of the fundamental mistakes that happens in jujitsu is that people more often than not sign up for the pl- for, at the first gym they try jujitsu at. 
And if there's only one gym around you, sure, you try it, you like it. But if you attend a class and you're like, oh, I really like this, that's not to say you couldn't go to another place that's not that much further away and be like, you know what, I like this more. Like, I like that style more. I like, or, or like they're more competitive or schedule or schedule. Yeah. Or there's easier more, to get there. There's more guys, my age, there's more guys, my speed. There's a, there's a woman's class. There's more women around. Like, it's just, again, it's, it's your money. You can spend it how you want to. So, but unfortunately I think inherently because it's a combat sport, it also feels a little confrontational. Like it's super hard to go into a gym and be like, I'm going to try this out. Did you like it? Yeah. Also interested in signing up. I'm going to try out some other gyms. Like that's a, that totally feels like a weird thing to say Yeah. because you almost feel like you're insulting them for their time as opposed to free week trial. It's like, thanks. I tried it for a week and I'm going to try another gym for a week. Right, like right, right. it just is what it is. Yeah. The closest restaurant to where I live is a fucking Chili's. <laughs> i've never fucking been to the chilies i have been to places all over the place but yeah i'm not going to your fucking chilies stop my speed exactly i might swing in try it oh you got green bean fries that's cool anyway i'm gonna eat somewhere else next week like i, I have the freedom to do that i'm paying the bill yeah there's so many aspects of brazilian jiu-jitsu that aren't jiu-jitsu that influence who we are as grapplers and as people and but I don't think you see that immately. And it's hard to see that immediately, especially when you don't know anything. Yeah, you don't even speak the language. Yeah, all you literally. see is they know shit I don't know. Yeah. So not this guy over here maybe knows more, maybe subjective, whatever. But, or maybe they just they do it a way that I like more for whatever reason. And there's all kinds of reasons. And I think that's a really quick way for either people to become disenchanted with jujitsu because the environment isn't what they wanted but they stick it out for longer than they should and then they just kind of get like soured on the experience and they don't even want to try it somewhere else they're just like you know what? i did this for six months it kind of sucked like the people doing it were like just kind of shitty or whatever for whatever reason instead of being like but i like the art and i'm going to try it somewhere else it's just like it plants that seed super deep that's going to suck or Again, you feel self-conscious about leaving and going somewhere else. Like you're going to be a traitor or something as opposed to, no, I'm just going to train somewhere else. And that's fine too. Like if I quit Planet Fitness and I go working out a lifetime, like who, who cares? It doesn't, nobody cares. Right. But we get tied up so much in this concept of it being a martial art. And like I wish people would stop like comparing, especially jujitsu to like samurais and soldiers and Anything that isn't a person who probably is working a day job, yeah. putting on their PJs and going and rolling around for an right, hour. Right. A third of the room is currently high, <sighs> as a matter of fact. Like, At you know, like, we're not soldiers, <laughs> for God's sake. Yeah. The, the other, and then another third is just waiting to go home to drink or mm. have a beer. Three of them are here right now, <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> Drinking during, both, talking both, about jujitsu. Yeah. Both uh, groups are covered in this room currently. And... Like there's just, there's all these facets of jujitsu. And unfortunately I think, um, people tread for people's focus on the surface level of jujitsu so much that like they lose like a lot of what's going on or, or they're willing to overlook a lot that's going on or pretend like it's not going on or be like, Oh, this is okay. Because I like, I like this part. So that part over there sucks but i'm not going to say anything because i'm not involved in it and it's like but you, 
you can say something because <laughs> again, like we're not, we don't live in a society where you're not allowed to, unless you go on Reddit and you say it and people are like, you suck. <laughs> Traitor. Crianche. So. Somebody, somebody's been on Reddit before. Oh, uh, purple belt. <laughs> you, you, were, you were at purple belt. I was at purple belt. Less competition at purple belt. Why? Uh, it it kind of started turning into you start to roll against the same people over and over again. So unless you're you willing, said that it was thinning of the ranks, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, so okay. you know, kind of those guys that you started with that didn't quit, you just started seeing them over and over again. And you know, it's not like people were getting promoted faster necessarily. So you'd have to go further out. Like I I remember my first. So it would have been my second tournament as a purple belt. I just got smoked. I just got like destroyed because. I had a super heavy closed guard game, like very like grip oriented. Like if I couldn't get a close, like a closed guard cross collar choke or loop choke or something, I didn't get anything. Like my passing game was for shit. My sweep game was for shit. I was just really good at chokes. And then I started at purple belt. I realized, oh shit, people are really good at passing guard now. (laughs) And my chokes are not better than their guard pass. And they were just like, it was just embarrassing. Um, except for one match where a guy actually cheated and he beat me and I'm still bitter about like nine years later, 10 years later, the guy went for a toe hold and just like crushed my big toe. He didn't go for like the ain't like he didn't twist it for like an ankle lock. He grabbed my toes and just like crushed them with his hand. And I tapped to that because I didn't know shit about leg locks either. I didn't start really doing leg locks till I was closer to like Brown belt. And and obviously like Dan her death squad hadn't gotten big and like people yeah. weren't like blowing up over heel hooks right. and IBJJF, it was still illegal and everything else. So I was like, so after the match, I was like, dude, what was that? Like, cause as soon as he got it, I was like, tap. He's like, oh, I don't tell anybody. Like even, even guys in my gym, I get, I get guys in my gym. I don't tell them I'm like you mother. And then hindsight, I'm like, you motherfucker, you don't tell anybody because you cheated. It's fucking illegal. And because Literally I didn't know hole. better. Yeah. <laughs> That if I knew even half as much that I would have been like, I would have tapped and then told yeah. her up, the motherfucker just crushed my toes. Mm-hmm. Small digit, you son of a bitch. Um, but it was, oh, I was so frustrated. That's the episode Episode title is small digit, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that's, a, that's an episode title for a lot of things in my life that I'd rather not talk about. So yeah, so Purple Belt, I started doing a little bit less competition just because it was the same guys. And it's like, I didn't really want to pay 50, 60, 70 bucks to roll against the same guys I'd rolled against. You know, maybe they beat me, maybe I beat them, but it's like, it started turning into like, if we can just go to each other's gyms, if we really want to roll against each other that much. And so it became a little less and less. And then I think I was, a I was a two stripe purple belt. Like my son had just, been born and my professional life was just terrible i was working a job for like no money and i was just it was one of those things where it's like i knew i needed to do better but it was it was just really weak like post my resume on monster and hope for the best sort of thing like it was absolutely one of those like i need to not have this job in order to get a better job but as long as you're at a job you're too scared to like quit. For sure. Yeah, exactly. And then I got, a, then I was a part of a mass layoff. So it didn't make any difference later down the road, but I was like a two straight purple belt and I was trying to look for some options. And that's when I met. And a few months earlier, I'd met Jeremy Clark 
because Minnesota Top Team didn't originally used to be affiliated with Higan Machado, which they aren't now either, which is another part of the journey. They originally, uh, so I'm sure Jeremy probably, because Jeremy was on the show, right? Yeah. And he probably, did he start a gym as a blue belt? For the record, I was bought thinking of him earlier. Bought the gym as a blue belt. Yeah. Uh, did, so did he kind of talk about his progress of affiliations? I don't remember. So they're I, not, he referenced it, but not in detail. As yeah. I so and and I won't I won't try and like drop facts that I might get wrong. Sure. But they always had a problem with affiliations because Paul Petushin originally owned the place. Yep. He, he was a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, so he couldn't give out rank. And then briefly there was uh, they were affiliated with Mario Roberto down in Rochester, but Mario largely just stayed down in Rochester and. So like Ryan Iverson, who was their old head coach, like he was like a blue, like nobody could get rank and they, everyone was just kind of stuck. Like that's why like Jeremy started jiu-jitsu before me, but like he got his black belt after me and it was largely because he got stuck in this weird affiliation limbo. And so he uh, somehow, somewhere or another, he got talking to Chris and they ended up joining Higan Machado. So I met like Ryan Iverson, the old head instructor and Jeremy. And at some point, Ryan was moving. So he was, like, moving from, like, Egan up to Anoka or something. He was, like, nowhere close, which is funny because it wasn't that much further away than where I live. And I started talking to Jeremy because I was just hoping for some sort of a career path change. And he's like, oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. And we talked. And, and you know, we hit it off and I ended up taking the head instructor job at Minnesota Top Team for about four years. And this was me commuting from, like, Plymouth, Maple Grove to Egan three times a week as a new father but it was like a source of income that i also like kind of desperately needed and i still had the like the doe eye the ooh, i'm gonna be a head instructor <laughs> and were you still a purple belt at the time i was still a purple i was a two straight purple belt and you know fast forward to the end of it you couldn't pay me to own a gym or be a head instructor anymore like right. for any amount yeah. of money right. like i always hear black belts or brown belts or purple belts like oh man it'd be so awesome to open a gym and i always look at them like you sure about that because if you i mean kindergarten teachers fulfilling too and it's just about the same thing for potentially less money <laughs> <laughs> with weirder hours for weird way weirder hours and way bigger kids um <laughs> and uh, so I, so I went to work with at Minnesota Top Team for about four years, and during that time, it was it was around that time too that I stopped finally playing off my back and started working guard passes and stuff like that. I kind of got sick every once in a while. I do a tournament, and it was the same thing: me trying to pull guard or something, and someone would just muscle pass if you want to be reductive and say muscle pass fine but the fact of the matter is is that their strength is better than my technique which is also a fundamental flaw in how we talk about jujitsu and that i'm sure matt's heard more than a few times like man you're strong mm. it's offensive it, it is <laughs> it's offensive and reductive listen you don't sure. you don't tell a flexible guy not to be flexible yeah, yeah you don't tell a fast guy not to be fast yeah. but for some reason we tell strong guys not to be strong now i get I get telling per, a person not to lean on their physical capabilities first, lean on technique first, but your physical capabilities augment your technique. So you're telling me Buchecha and Andre Galvao and Adolfo, these guys aren't strong. You like, are you kidding me? The second they win and they tear open their gi and you see that they're like 2% body fat, but like 230 pounds, like give me a break. Yes, of course they're strong. They're just really good too. So, 
telling a person not to be so saying a person is strong is just really reductive in way of saying you beat me <laughs> like i just couldn't move you and i was trying to preface it because sometimes i catch myself saying that but i try and say it like a better way like like shit your like base is like really solid like i couldn't move you or something not like oh you're just <laughs> if you weren't so strong i could have beat you like it's such a it's just such a lazy yeah backhanded compliment right. and really just an excuse because you know at the end of the day we're supposed to be able to beat people who are stronger of lower capabilities right except when the people who are stronger like get really good then it's like a different game then it's not fair that's why you need absolute cat like or open classes yeah but nobody's won uh mundial's like oh, like absolute class who weighed under 185 pounds like so you're telling me that hodger gracie has better technique than i guess they never competed together but let's say so buchecha has better technique than the men or the mendez brothers or or Keotera or bruno malfson like no you're not saying that at all but they're really big and strong like marcelo stopped doing absolute division because he came out and he said it just hurts too much like you're going against guys who weigh like 70 pounds more after you did your own divisions or frankly first and you get plowed over by someone who weighs 100 pounds more than you. Then you got to do your weight class against right. other guys who are smart enough not to do it. <laughs> That's why you don't see 150 pound guys doing absolute because they don't want to get wrecked because right. they do absolute first. Like That's also really weird. <laughs> it's like they're trying to call the herd intentionally for some reason. That is a big guy bias, right? Absolutely it is. And maybe it's also, it, it could be bullshit jujitsu politics too to keep the big names on top. Like the big, you know, Hodger Gracie. I mean, I'm sure that someone's going to call me out for being wrong about this, but I mean, Hodger Gracie's name isn't Gracie. His middle, that's his mom's name. His dad's name is Gomes. It's good branding, baby. That's what it turned into. Yeah. He got branded as a Gracie because his mom was a Gracie, so he became a Gracie because it was a bigger deal to sell. This is the Gracie dominance at the next level, whereas the reality is, is I mean, I, I like to think his dad just doesn't care, but his dad is amazingly influential in spreading Brazilian jiu-jitsu to Europe. Like He went over there, and like he basically planted the seeds that started spreading across Europe. Plus, he's still a proponent in Neon Belly, and not enough people are, so I respect that so much. <laughs> Nobody plays it. So what's his dad's name? Um, Mauricio Gomes. Mauricio Gomes. Yeah, G-O-M-E-S. I knew none of that. Yeah. Uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is like the point, right? Yeah, You're Brazilian Jiu Jitsu right history fascinates me. But mostly it's like the old school stories. Like that was always my favorite. Like I'm not a Joe Rogan podcast guy, but if I see guys, or like, you know, like listen to like Greg Nelson, like guys, or Eric Paulson, or guys that have been around the game since before mixed martial arts was called mixed martial arts, but they started seeing where the ball was going. Maybe they didn't do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You know, maybe they started with Jeet Kundo, but then they're like, oh muay thai like what's going on here or boxing or you know they saw the benefit of cross training yeah they were part of the development of what we exactly yeah and they might not get necessarily the credit because they were kind of in like the the peripherals of everything that was going on but they were there like there's it's the same with brazilian jiu-jitsu there's all these names in brazilian jiu-jitsu that were there at the same time that helio and and carlson gracie or Carlos Gracie, were learning jujitsu in the first place that history's forgotten because Helio and Carlson started like dictating the narrative. 
because they became the names. At the end of his life, Helio claimed that he invented Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like, that outright, it did not exist before him. And his own narrative changed across his life, that he had learned Judo first, and then he learned from watching it, and then it turned into he did it. It's like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> like, our own history, or our own history. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's its own history. Its yeah. own history. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu history is so muddled. It's, well, it, and I didn't realize, what was it? Um... Because I always thought this was just like a Rage Against the Machine line. I, I'm not a huge Orwell fan, but I guess it was from 1984. It's the he who controls the present controls the past. Yep. He, he who controls, or no, yep. he controls the present controls the past. He who controls the past controls the future. And We'll edit that and make it sound like you nailed it the first time. I don't have faith in your editing yeah. abilities, but okay. Neither do I. <laughs> but I mean, what's the, what's the older brother of like the current eldest Gracie generation, tall skinny cat? Gave Hickson his uh, fancy belt a few years ago. Who gave Hickson his belt? I mean, it wasn't Horian, was it? Was it Horian? Because he's like a lawyer, right? And like takes legal action to preserve this sense of history, does he not? Am I, I mean, that might be. That? I mean, unless that was Carlson Jr. Or Carlos Jr. My impression is one of them is like controlling the branding and controlling the continued well, yeah, the, narrative yeah, to sell pre- the Gracie brand. I mean, right? Junior, I mean, it would make sense if it was Junior because he's the president of the IBJJF and the CBJJ. Horian. It was Horian that gave him? Okay. According, well, according to Google. According to a quick Google. See? See, just valuable drop-ins, Polly. Thanks. Young Polly. Um, I mean, you're really our Brian Redman. You're just making sure. I don't even know if anyone who listens to Rogan knows that reference. Redman's on on a semi regular basis. Is he okay? Yeah, he still pops in. Um, the but, original smoky room laptop, young Pauly, <laughs> is what Redman is. But yeah, like Horian was amazingly influential in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because one, the UFC, obviously bringing Valley Tudo into the United States and, and helping to formulate the UFC. Um, but he also controlled the narrative too. You know, it's the, it's the, the, like the belief that Hickson wasn't in the first UFC because he was too muscular, like he'd be too dominant or whatever. And people like, like, have you ever seen Hoist standing next to Hickson? Like, I think Hickson's shorter and they weigh about the same. Like, yes, did he look more muscular? Sure. But the reality was, is that Hickson had opened his own gym. He wasn't under Horian anymore and Horian could still control Hoist. And Horian wasn't just going to let go of control of the narrative to this other Gracie who obviously would have done the exact same things that Hoist did, but Hoist was with Horian. So Horian's like, Hoist, you do it. And, it, and then Horian started telling people, oh no, we didn't do Hickson just because, you know, we wanted to prove that the smaller guy, and it's like, they're like the same size. I don't know what you're talking about. So you're killing the romance, John. Yeah, there's no romance in jiu-jitsu, oh, dude. Man. I know. I'm sorry to bum me out, dude. There's no romance. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, with the exception of my wife, and I've told her this, with the exception of my wife, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And at the same time, it's arguably one of the worst things that's ever happened to. Um, be- Open floor. Go ahead. Okay. So in terms of best... And we'll, and this will make more sense as I transition to my brown belt phases too. Um, Which I was going to get you back to. I know. I was going to be like, we're you. still on purple belt. You've already right? proved it. So yes, I'll get there. Uh, well, best in terms of like, I can draw, I can draw direct lines between where I was before Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to where I am now. And from 
even like a professional financial and personal standpoint, every single one of them goes through jujitsu. Before I had Brazilian jujitsu, I was, so before I started in 2007, um, my wife, I newly married. I, my combat background is actually, I started kickboxing Muay Thai. I mean, I, I would say Muay Thai, but back then we couldn't train Muay Thai because we couldn't fight Muay Thai because you couldn't, no one was going to ensure it. So even doing kickboxing, we had to do it on reservations. We'd go to like Ely to, to Northern Light. Is it Northern Lights Casino in Ely? Something like that. It is the nor- up north brand. Yeah. Thing, Northern Lights. Yeah. So, you know, being a, a, a middle class white kid from the suburbs, I had a lot of rage inside of me mm-hmm. as we are mm-hmm. apt to do. Yeah, I can relate. And in college, I was super frustrated. And as again, as a middle class white kid. And I wanted an outlet and I basically looked in the, I probably did an Alta Vista search yes. and there was two gyms and were in the city where I went to college and one of them taught kickboxing. I'm like, I'll try it out. And so I started doing kickboxing and I really got into it. I love the training. Like I love to this day, I love kickboxing, Muay Thai boxing training. Like it's like some of my favorite workout there is. It's just my body just can't do it anymore. Yeah. I like watching it a lot it's amazing like the training the training the i mean the trainings or the fighting's another thing together but i love the training and i did that for a little while i did some smokers i did one like isk fight up in up in ely and fortune bay fortune bay thank you and uh i did one (laughs) fight up in fortune bay and then uh they were booking my second fight and my second fight was going to be on my wife's birthday and we had just started dating and i was and i and i passed like but it wasn't like a quick pass like i i had just gotten a knockout in my first fight and i was like i want to keep doing this like i'm obviously good at this hindsight being like no i wasn't <laughs> i was not good at it i could just hit a little i could just hit harder than the guy hit me as well really yeah, there's two to. sides to the fight coin the other guy might be even fucking worse than you are which right? yeah i was just better that night and i just hit him more times than he hit me and and so like i i pulled back away from it because i was falling in love and and i was also like there was also no money in it I know it sounds super materialistic where people are like, oh, you got to be in it for the art. I'm like, not when brain damage is included in it, I don't have to be. And also have an electric bill. Yeah, exactly. You, you know? know, so you're going to pay me, what, a couple of hundred bucks to potentially get knocked out, lose some teeth, like lose even more brain cells than I've already lost. Like I don't, the, the, it's already stacked against me. I, I can't afford to lose more. And so I dropped out of that and then moved back down to the Twin Cities Started doing some boxing because I missed the training. I did some training out of Rice Street Gym for a while. Didn't box out of there. Never had any fights. Just did some training there. Imagine the basement in Rocky Three where Rocky trains. Rice Street Gym. That was just the normal floor. <laughs> Rice Street Perfect. Gym. But it was also this super eye-opening experience because one time I was training and I was watching these two guys spar and this one guy just got destroyed sparring. Like he didn't belong in the ring sparring against the guy he was sparring against. And I just, I been, I was in grad school at the time and I watched this happen and I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm in grad school and I don't want to be, and I might for a little while be the guy dealing out punishment to a certain level, but some point I'm going to be the guy getting absolutely destroyed and I'm not cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to stop this. That seems smart. Yeah. Smart-ish. Smart enough, but but it never got rid of like that competitive desire 
um because i've never been good at team sports i've always liked individual sports i liked like rock climbing and stuff in college and like stuff where it only relied on me if i failed it was on me it wasn't i wasn't letting anyone else down yeah same and so but the seed was still there and i got really into like mma it was still like tough one had just happened like the year before and like i was you know i, I still remember watching forrest and stefan bonner in that first like live show and just being like this is amazing everyone's gonna like see this and, it's gonna... and it was it was massive it was one of the most significant fights in ufc history if not the most significant probably arguably more than hoist in the first place because hoist at ufc one didn't save the organization like it was basically circling the drain from the start well just numbers of viewership exactly yeah like it was just nothing so many more people saw yeah and then you know once congress got involved and john mccain and everything and human cockfighting and blah blah, it was (laughs) such a lazy analogy yeah yeah um which is my problem with so many things like that's just a lazy argument just um but i still like had that seed and so i was watching mma and i was really into like chuck liddell at the time and i was like oh god maybe i want to do mma and i think like brock lesnar was just in talks to get in the UFC. He was in WWE and he was going to have he was going to have whatever like feeder fight before he went into the UFC. And so this was around July of 2007 cuz I remember we were out on a lake or something with like my wife's brother or something whatever. I was talking about oh, I was oh, I'm going to try this uh MMA or jiu-jitsu or something like that. And I went to this local gym you know all the people who say that they fall in love with jujitsu the first time they try it mm-hmm. i fucking hated it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it it made me so upset <laughs> but i didn't know anything about grappling i'd never wrestled yeah. i'd never done judo and i was like but i'm interested in getting into mma so i know i have to start learning the ground somehow but it was just too foreign right off the it's bat. not that it was too foreign the class sucked <laughs> and so the class was yeah. run it was an intro class i think it was run it was run by like a blue belt or something which wouldn't have been or i wouldn't even call it strange now but it definitely wasn't strange back then to have a blue belt running an intro class personally i think blue belts should be able to run intro classes but that's a completely different conversation and i uh they taught armbar and the guy, t- first of all, he took you, he took us through warm-ups, which I'm sure were standard warm-ups. I can't remember them in my head now because history and everything else has muddled it. I'm sure it was completely standard hip escape, shoulder roll moves. And it was so foreign and confusing to me because I'm just looking around just feeling stupid. Like, this is weird. Nobody's telling me what to do. I'm just kind of following whatever. It does feel like a setup to make it's like a candid camera thing kind of when you yeah, first like, show up and like all right we're lining up and they're moving weird and, well, and I, is everybody looking at me you know like, okay now start shrimping like yeah, what? what that's not a thing <laughs> i mean to this day i hate seeing shrimping it, it sounds like, made up yeah <laughs> and and so we go through all that and then we kind of get paired up i got my loner gi on and the guy takes us through armbar from guard and he took us through nine steps to do armbar from the guard. To this date, I have never taken nine steps to do an armbar from guard. But it was like, I was so lost after like the first two movements. And I pair up with the guy next to me. And I'm like, yeah, have you done this before? He goes, no, this is my second class. I just got like a punch card. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we're just kind of sitting there like, uh, I guess I do this. It was just, I'm sure it, 
I'm sure it looked as bad as everybody looks the first time they do jujitsu, yeah. but the instructor wasn't really coming around and talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. Like there was this bench of people waiting for the advanced class. who was like the blue belts and above. He was kind of just going over and talking to them. And I was like, this sucks. Like, now this was this at the first gym or was no, it this was the place? first gym before the first, okay. or this is <laughs> a gym before the first gym. And then after it was done, the guy's talking, he's like, so you you're interested in signing up? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, well, do you guys like do Muay Thai too? Because then I was kind of thinking, okay, then I could kind of do two for one. He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So do you have like a package deal? He's like, no. Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you have to pay for two memberships. I'm like, how much is membership? It was 175 bucks a month and you get two classes a week. And this was in 2007. That's a big old go fuck yourself. Yeah. And I was me. like, I'm going to have to go home and think about it. And then I immediately Googled like, other i probably go or alta vista searched other jujitsu gyms in my area well that's what i'm gonna go home and think about it means is like holy shit there's oh, got to be a better option it was and then i found a gym that was it was like it was like 100 bucks a month unlimited and that turned into my first gym and but i hated it it was like people who say like oh i was so, i was so fascinated with jujitsu the moment i saw hoist in the first ufc no i didn't know what he was doing it was so ridiculous. He's wearing like a karate gi for yeah. all I knew. He's on the ground. I don't know what he's doing. To this day, I'm not entirely sure how he tapped out Frank or Ken Shamrock. I've been doing this 14 years and I'm still like, what the hell was that? What was that choke? And I didn't understand it at all. Like I was like, you know, despite the, I was more like, like a Gerard Gordo, like, yeah, I kicked Telly two in the face. And like, not only did he like kick a, a tooth out, but it got implanted in another tooth was in his foot. So if you see later, his foot is bandaged up. There's still a tooth in his foot. It's like that guy. That's what I wanted. That's, and then I found that's out, the show. Yeah. And then I found out what a piece of shit. Uh, Gerard Gordo wow. Is. You just can't don't dig so deep and you won't have that problem. <laughs> yeah. He knows his bliss. Yeah. Stop <laughs> looking into people's lives after <laughs> singular moments that you really liked. And you won't be unhappy anymore. Um, so, you know, and then after like, then I, I actually attended a class with a really good instructor who was like an assistant instructor. Um, but, he, he like went over to like the people who'd never done it before. And they're like, this is how you do it. And it was like a, it was like a side control to mount transition or something like that. And for some reason I did that and I was like, holy shit. But I think it was having somebody there to be like, you're doing it wrong and here's how to do it better. And like teaching. Yeah. Some, teaching? My instructor actually instructing me how to do a thing. And that made like a huge difference and, and really stuck with me. But this was all a really long way of saying, like before Brazilian, so before Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I, I literally had no voice whatsoever. I had very few friends growing up, which I know with my sparkling personality is so difficult to understand how that could be a thing. But I was super quiet. I'm amazingly introverted, like making eye contact with people for more than a few seconds. I'm like, this is making you uncomfortable that I'm holding eye contact with you. So I feel bad that I'm looking at you at this point. So I'll just look at the ground. Um, and I was like, I just, I was working like 50 hours a week. I was just like in a cube doing my thing just to make money. And there's just, you know, it was just frustrating. Like, I was like, is this what it is? Is this where I'm at? Like, this is all I get to look forward to every day is I show up at seven and I leave at five every day for the rest of my life for like, $12 an hour or something. And some, th there was this really amazing influential moment that he doesn't know about, I'm sure. But 
Um, so Fabio, who used to be the head instructor at MKG, and now I think he's over at Bellum, they started running these tournaments, just the MKG tournaments. And I was a blue belt at the time. And I think I emailed him asking him a question or something like that. It wasn't a big deal or whatever. And he's like, he like answered me. He's like, oh, and if you have any other questions, just like shoot me a text or give me a call or something. And it was this really weird moment of like, so this instructor is just cool if I like call him like this guy I've never met. And it was like this really weird moment that opened up this door for me of, well, I want to meet people in jujitsu, like <laughs> in my life, really. Like I want to meet people. And what came of that was, so I started doing like this blog where one day I was at a gym and when I was training and I was listening to these guys talk about these rumors at another gym and it was a gym, the first gym I trained at before. And I was like, you know, that that's not what happened. Right. I'm like, it wasn't great, but like that never happened. Like it wasn't like that. And this weird thing clicked in my head where I'm like, I fucking hate rumors. Like it drives me nuts to no level to hear like hey did you hear so-and-so like did this in another gym or whatever it's like have you been there and they're like no what do you so what are you talking about like just don't talk about it like why is that a problem so i started shooting emails out to local gym owners like hey can i stop by your gym all i want to do is stop by your gym do a class and i want to just write an article about what class is like at your gym it's going to be completely unbiased um, Honestly, there were plenty of times I probably could have gone more negative than I did, but I found a positive in, in the experience. And more often than not, I could find a positive at every gym I went to. It might not have been the gym for me, but, I, but I, I wanted to give a chance for someone to say something about the gym that wasn't a reviewer who had already signed up for a membership. Like, I have no ties to your gym whatsoever. I came in from the outside. I was a purple belt at the time. This is what I saw. And from that from kind of having a voice in that, I started doing podcasting. And because I just want to talk about jujitsu. Like, you know, because I'd listen to like Joe Rogan and Bill Burr and Adam Crow, and I'm like, oh shit, they can talk for like a half an hour, hour, hour and a half on shit. And especially like Bill Burr, who can just ramble forever. Just go like, and go. As and opposed go. to the fact that he's a professional rambler. I'm like, <laughs> well, this doesn't sound hard at all. But like I started, I bought like my first I think I first started on a laptop. It sounded horrible. Like, mm -hmm, fortunately, mm -hmm. someone at the gym, I was that because I and I started, I was head instructing at Top Team at the time. And one of my students at the time was like, you know, it sounds like you're recording it in a tin can, right? Because I would record it and post it because I didn't want to hear my own voice. I hated mm -hmm. my own voice. I can which, relate to that, which is That's so, so compelling. <laughs> which is funny because, like, whenever somebody asks me about podcasting now, I'm like, oh, I hate my voice. I'm like, has anyone con up to you in real life and said, I hate your voice? No exactly it's just it's your voice we yeah. know your voice you just don't yeah like that's the only difference well, my wife tells hell, me that buddy. all the time what's that so my wife tells me that yeah. all the time <laughs> it's not your voice it's what you're saying paulie there's a difference it's your continued presence here <laughs> oh you again when she acts startled every time you say something yeah you got to change something there. um but and it, and it got me into podcasting and it got me like the equipment. And then I started like falling in love with other podcasts, like audio dramas and scary story narrations and stuff. And that led me into like being a podcaster and which turned into a business in its own that never, that without any uncertainty never would have happened without Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because one, I never would have had the confidence to speak about anything in the first place. Two, I wouldn't have had the equipment to do a podcast and it, it so there's that direct correlation for, so 
this wasn't given to me by jujitsu, but I took it from jujitsu. Like not everybody who starts jujitsu is necessarily going to feel more confident about themselves. It just doesn't work that way. It's just a medium and you can take from it what you will. So like people talking about how Brazilian or Brazilian jiu-jitsu saved my life or changed my life. That might be true, but it's what you took from it. It's what you were able to take from it and, and maybe try and give back to it or, or whatever else. Because I don't care what Joe Rogan says, jiu-jitsu isn't the douchebag filter that he thinks it is. I'm sorry, but how many top-level black belts you ever follow on Instagram and think, whoa, you suck as a human being? Well, and not to mention recent headlines about very high-level people. Exactly. So it, it doesn't... If you, if you see salvation in it, you might find salvation in it. Mm. If you see et cetera yes. in it, et cetera, out, you know. And you can also, and you can also be corrupted by the power that it can present you to. Like it gave people, it gave amazing grapplers a fan base and social media gave them a platform that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And all of a sudden they can make comments that have nothing to do with jujitsu that are impacting people. And that's super dangerous and super scary because that's power in itself that people need to understand. And at the core, it also came from jujitsu, but you're taking that power and, and privilege and possibility and just warping it. And so many of these talented guys are young anyway. You know, you're 22, 23, 24 years old. I acted like a dick when I was 30, of course. Even now there's been plenty of times where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But they have a massive platform and they're impacting people who really are only following them because they're really good grapplers. And like they get concessions for that. Like, oh my God, did you see what so-and-so says? Like, yeah, but did you see his submission? What, uh, I'm like, that's not the same thing. That's not what I asked you. We can talk about that later. Two different competitions. <laughs> exactly. And so, I mean, there are people, I'm just one of the, I consider myself a success story in jujitsu because I was able to take something that not only improved my life, but improved life for my family. And jujitsu has, has arguably made life safer for me, not because of the inherent self-defense aspects. But I mean, how many times you talk to someone who's been doing jujitsu for any amount of time and they're like fighting sounds like the worst thing in the world. Like getting into a fight. Are you kidding me? It's like you, if I go into a bar and I bump someone and like you pussy, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to go home. Like, okay, like good for you. I hope you feel better about yourself that you talk down this guy who's never said anything to you before in, in your life. And I'm going to go home and be safe because if I get in a fight, one of two things is going to happen. I'm either probably going to get a beer bottle cracked over my head by the guy behind me who doesn't realize the rules of sport jujitsu is supposed to be me versus the other guy. Or I could do something that lands me in jail. You know, if, if I jump a guillotine on the guy and the guy buckles, like breaks his leg or his head goes into the ground or something, and now I'm in jail. And what, what was the point of that? For what? I mean, and frankly, I just also avoid situations where I'm going to be in a bad place. Like, I don't go out after 10 o'clock at night. That's insane. I'm so tired. <laughs> Why do I want to do that? That's the advantage of, you know, two hours of training most nights of the week. Or in my case, two hours, one night a week. <laughs> well, and so the, the learned response relative to, like, keeping yourself and your family safer is how you respond to you in a certain situation as much as how you respond to the other guy in that certain situation. Yeah. It's, you have to let go of your pride 
and it's and honestly it's not ego 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 is this weird misconception in jujitsu people like oh leave your ego at the door oh i don't have an ego i get tapped out all the time it's like well you just told me that you get tapped out all the time in the same sentence so obviously ego is still hanging around you're keeping track yeah it's like the, the the it's like a paradox like ego is telling ego is that voice inside your head telling you you don't have an ego <laughs> like i if i didn't have an ego i'd never do jujitsu i'd never want to push myself like if i got tapped i'd never learn anything from getting tapped out because i just like move past it and probably do the same mistakes over and over again ego is wanting to learn and wanting to do better that's not a bad thing it's so what's the alternative one-liner instead of check your ego at the door get over yourself i like it yeah i mean if i was you gonna do, say leave your shoes at the door that's a good yeah, one don't don't you don't you dare walk into that bathroom barefoot motherfucker <laughs> yeah, definitely that <laughs> sure. definitely that oh my god i was at a naga competition once and a guy did that and this was in chicago where it was like one bathroom for like 500 competitors and the floor was already wet and it's like one how did you think that was a good idea anyway but then like the refs got called in because someone like called him out fortunately so and it's like good and and they're like you're dq'd you can't step on the mat after doing that that's fucking disgusting like how are you not thinking you rub your opponent's face into your piss feet so gross i have tsa pre-check for when i fly just so i don't have to take my shoes off like, pre-check doesn't make you take shoes nope. off or is that clear pre-check doesn't either i have pre-check and i feel like i still take my shoes off because it's no, just man. like routine it is the best 85 dollars you'll ever spend i had to do that the for work. five years oh that's right because i did it for work because my like my work paid for it and i think the first time i went through i took off my shoes and belt and they looked at me like would you do that for <laughs> like oh bare feet on the floor it's a new world Oops. It took Polly a long time in jujitsu to be comfortable with the barefoot thing, right? Yeah. yeah that was the worst part about it when I first started. It still like is. I have feet on like the a, mat. I got I was feet like, like a coal miner. I felt, felt so bad for people to go for a toehold on me. <laughs> oh, just the mental part of it for me, being barefoot on the mat was the worst. I have to the actively worst. not think about it, even all these years later. Um, but you're sorry, st- you're still a purple belt, John. I am still a purple in the current belt. story. I'm a purple belt in the current story. So, uh, at some point, MTT uh, decides to part ways with Machado and uh, switches to Pedro Sauer, and they were directly affiliated with the academy at the time. So it was directly under Greg Nelson, and I, I think I was a purple belt for four years. So I had gone from one, like one and a half years as a white belt one year as a blue belt to four years as a purple belt. And that didn't bother me too much because I'm like, no, I get it. Like the other ones, it was pretty fast. Like one year of blue belts is arguably not nearly enough time. And so it's like four years as a purple belt. And I tested under Greg and Greg, I think he might still do this for his black belts. But the way he had told it to me was he had made a promise to Pedro Sauer. So Greg Nelson was Pedro Sauer's first black belt. And he had made a promise to Pedro that anytime he would promote someone to brown belt, I think he said brown and black belt, but it was at least brown belt, you had to do Gracie self-defense. So there's a Gracie University book. It's like 300 pages long. It costs like 100 bucks if you buy it off 
Amazon. I think Jeremy still has my copy. So Jeremy, if you're listening to this, give it back because that wasn't cheap. I didn't have money back then. <laughs> um, Inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my God. Some of the books that I have like Drill to Win by Andra Galvao, I can sell that on online for so much now because some of these books are out of print. They yeah. haven't digitized them and I can't figure it out. They're amazing. Like BJ Penn's guard book was fucking phenomenal and you can't find it anywhere anymore. But anyway, uh, so you had to do like the first 85 pages, like all the self-defense teeth. So like bear hug from behind, like knife attack, club attack, chair, rear naked choke defense, like all this stuff. And a lot of it's really silly. Like a lot of it's like, this is a very specific situation, but stuff like a bear hug from behind, like that's not a bad technique to go. Or if somebody like actually tries to do a rear naked, like a standing rear naked choke from behind, like, can you react in that moment? Like. Gun defense, yeah, I don't, I don't like anyone who messes around with the concepts of like gun defense in jujitsu or knife defense. Like, learn salat or get your concealed carry license yeah. or something. Like, that's dangerous stuff to teach, right, in my opinion. Right. But I think he does still do that because what's name just got his black belt the other day. Dan Moret, I saw Moret, that, yeah. and, and he posted a clip. You could tell he was just mm. sitting in the corner with his phone recording mm. part of the black belt testing. So I'm assuming he still does it. So it must have been all of their brown and black belts did that, and. uh but I actually really liked it because it kind of like made me feel like a part of this like heritage. Like it didn't bother me. I tested for all my belts. I tested for my blue belt, my purple and my purple belt before that with Chris had his own standards. And a lot of people don't test for their belts. And that doesn't bother me more than I like that. I like a certain structure of standard, at least for blue belt, because like I said before, I think blue belt should be able to teach intros or intro classes. And I have no problem with an instructor going up to someone who wants to be a blue belt and say, all right, show me an arm bar from closed guard. Show me the steps. And I think to get your blue belt, you should be able to say, this is what I do. Or a triangle or a scissor sweep or a double leg takedown or whatever. And if you can do that, if you can vocalize it, if you can say it in front of someone else, you can teach someone else. Can you teach it perfectly? God, no. But I mean, there's black belts who can't teach for shit. Like I've known people who they, they can't process what they're doing. They can do it like just monsters that will destroy you with a knee cut pass or whatever, but they cannot explain the mechanics of it because they just do it. Like, like I do this. It's like, okay, but well, my hip is feeling pinned in this. How are you doing that? And they're like, well, I, I do this. It's like, ah, that doesn't. It, it works. Yeah. Like, ah, that doesn't help me. You know yeah, but if I don't know lefty, loosey, righty, tighty, and yeah. you know, lefty, loosey, yeah. righty, tighty, you just taught me. Exactly. That principle, even if you're not like an expert in yeah. you know, mechanicness. Yeah, you can at least lay the foundation. Right. Like you might not be able to like teach it perfectly, but it's also like an opportunity for you to look outside yourself and say, like, if you can't teach a thing, do you really know a thing? Like, can you do it? Sure, but that's like not complete knowledge to me. Like, especially in the long run, because everybody's gonna stop competing someday. And it's like maybe you're happy just showing up to the gym for however long but at some point i mean i feel like it'd be amazingly frustrating to be an upper belt and if you get paired up with a white belt or something who just isn't getting the move but you can't explain to them how to do it better like that would just suck then i'd just be shitty and i'd be like oh, i'm never gonna train with the white belts it's like why it's like they can do it right and frankly if you teach them how to do it they're gonna get better and then the watermark rises for everybody but if you just like push white belts over to the side and say, figure it out for yourself, 
Because, I mean, how many times have you seen an instructor show something? And, like, everybody pairs up in the high, their middle school dance. They, they get their favorites. <laughs> upper belts are almost always together. And it's, like, two brand-new white belts get stuck together. And, like, they'll, like, get, like, a collar grip. And then both will just start, like, looking around the yeah. room, like, trying to find someone. It's, like, there's one instructor. There's 40 people on the mat. I still have that fucking moment. What are you talking about, man? There you go. And but that, and I guess your point is there's a lot of instructors on the mat. There Maybe are. not experts, so to speak. But I mean, you know, we were doing a class uh, a couple of months ago. It was a no-gi class. And, and the warm-up was takedown, pass the mount, omoplata. I'm sorry, there was a lot of upper belts that weren't sure how to do a normal plata from mount. So you got to take... That's, I thought you were saying it as a joke. You can do a normal plata from mount? Fucking ain't right, you can. But a lot of people weren't. And yeah. it kind of turns into one of those situations where all of a sudden a lot more heads are turning. And that's one of those, you know, you know, you know, know, leave your bullshit at the door. Like, take yourself out of the equation and realize, like, oh, shit, I don't know everything. Like, I never even thought of doing this. But the reality is like, like omoplot or monoplot or whatever you want to call it from mount is like super is arguably easier than trying to get an arm bar from mount just because of how people move in certain ways. And I think the problem is, is once you get to an upper belt, you get really embarrassed to not admit, you know, or to admit you don't know how to do something. And jujitsu is like always evolving. So some gyms say super fundamental, super basic, super old school, and they don't know these new techniques. And I know M theory can arguably be difficult too, because ish is like, like stupid good at staying up to date on what people are doing in competitions. And they're like, all right, and now we're just, I'm not going to do an ish impression. <laughs> but it also, <laughs> used to be a requirement, but uh, yeah, oh, the okay. only ish, the only ish word I can say is Kimura because I think it's amazing. Now go for the Kimura. Kimura. The Kimura. And, all ragaoshi. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, and all of a sudden, like, and he'll name some high level competitor. And I haven't known competitors' names since, like, Kyotera stopped competing. <laughs> so he'll name someone. I'll be like, I have no idea who that is. And, like, and they did this footlock, and people, and there'll be some people like Marcus or whoever's competing will be nodding along. I'll be like, what fucking footlock are you talking about? And I'll have no idea, but I can watch the mechanics as someone who's done this a long time and be like, listen, I've never seen them do it, but I can watch how it's done. I can break it down in my head. Once I get into that position, I can figure it out and I can probably teach it to somebody without too much difficulty. Um, but certainly if, somebody who doesn't know any of that, like they're going to yeah. take your word on the four fundamental steps of this. Yeah, exactly. And like, it will be correct, so to speak. Yeah, I could totally talk out my ass and be like, oh, this is how it's done. When the reality is I can be like, listen, the physics feels like this. <laughs> this is what it feels like to me. Pull the foot. And I'll be like, and I'm probably never going to do this particular foot lock. Um, there, I mean, there's so many techniques I never do. I never try to do, but I also need to know how to do them to defend them. Like, because there are, we do have a lot of competitors that are doing a lot of shit where I'm like, okay, I would never do this in a million years, but if I don't know how to defend it, you're going to take my back and I don't want to get, <laughs> I don't want to have to do my back defense. I'd rather just not get there in the first place. So it just turns into this like really to me, teaching should kind of inherently be fundamental. Even if you don't want to be a teacher in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it turns into this really valuable resource for you to just step outside yourself. Someone asks you a question. You don't have to come up with a bullshit answer. You can totally say, I don't know, let's figure it out. You know, there were, there were times where, 
I mean, there's sometimes where you just think on the fly because you're like, oh my God, I never thought of that question. Like if you're leading a class and you're like, why the fuck would someone ask me that question? They haven't even done the move. Why are they asking for counters already? You son of a bitch. Stop. But, and if you are that guy, stop doing that. Just do the move first. And then figure out the counters <laughs> later. <laughs> but, you know, then there are those times where you can think on the fly because like, I never thought of that, but clearly I can figure out if they post here, I would know what to do. But it's also cool to be like, never even thought about that. Let's work through it. Put me in it. Let's see what happens. And then try and move. Like you can work through it. Like you can, people can see the learning process. Like it's not a failure on your own end. If you don't know an answer in jujitsu, like there's so many fucking variables between speed and size and position and leverage and everything else. Like that's why, unfortunately, there's also that weird gray area in training where it's like, okay, we're going to do like a weave pass or something. And I've tried to tell people before, like, you need to figure out the difference between being a nice partner and being a good partner. A nice partner lets you do the move. A good partner helps you do it right. And if you don't feel the pressure, don't tap to it. Like, don't just let someone pass your legs. Don't fight them, but don't just flop. Like, don't just let it happen because... Then I'll go against people who are trying to do a weave pass. And I'm like, you're never going to pass my legs. Like you're not like, there's no pressure. Like you're not pinning my legs. You're not actually like getting like pressure with your head. You're not, you don't have a good grip on my collar, but they probably rolled with someone who's being nice because they went through the steps and they didn't think what happens if they actually try to resist this. And it's like, that's, that's a really important gray area that can get lost too. So then people try it in open roll. This is bullshit. This move doesn't work. It's like, well, the, the technique didn't fail. You failed the technique. They're, those are two very different things. So brown belt test. Yeah, I was pretty proud that I did that. <laughs> Imagine what it's like being my wife hearing me talk. <laughs> this is why I don't talk well, to people more. Yeah, I'm going to back you up a little bit into the point of like the person doing the what ifs at the instructor and coming up with sure. scenarios. One of my favorite moments like that was actually when Mark Nicola was leading an essentials class. Yeah. And I was... Uh, I'm still new to it, but I was more new to it then. And I, I forget who I was partnered with and we did the drill or whatever. And he had said, you know, give your partner some resistance. And it was like, you know, they've got your back, you're seated and they've got hooks in mm -hmm. and trying to get out of that, you know? And the person who I partnered with raised their hand with a question after we recircled up and they were like, so what if you have like, like a big, strong dude that you just can't <laughs> do it with. And Mark was like, oh, who's your partner? And he points at me and, he, and Mark, brings me up to the center and he says get your hooks in and take the grip or whatever and yeah and he said all right let's go and just to sort of like test the waters let me get the sense yeah. of the context and, and we sort of do the thing for like 10 seconds you know yeah and mark is a goddamn savage so this isn't taking anything away from him but he turned to the person he's like yeah that sucks man <laughs> <laughs> and, then we, and then we just moved on because like i mean we got 45 minutes yeah. here you know we could get into some scenarios conversely if nicolo takes your back that also sucks yeah well, that's what i mean yeah i've gotten there before and i'm like listen there's three minutes left in the round <laughs> i can try and fight this for the next two and a half minutes before you tap me right. or i can acknowledge what's going to happen and we can yeah. just reset and yeah. go again which arm do you want just yeah. go with it which isn't an excuse for like lower belts to tap to position or what they think is going to happen you should still fight it's different if upper belts are acknowledging scenarios because right. nothing bugs me more than rolling with a lower belt and they like going super aggressive and like you get mount or something and start to trap an arm and they tap 
And it's like, why'd you tap? Like, oh, well, you were going to get the arm bar. I'm like, was I? Like, I think I was, but I sure as shit wasn't there yet. Like, what are you, why are you tapping? You don't like, drop out of school freshman year because you might do bad later. That's stupid. No, but if I had uh, if I had thought in those terms, I might have dropped out of college <laughs> a lot sooner. Just like, wait till your sophomore year. Yeah, yeah that uh, that BA in English lit that was just burning up the charts. Um, brown belt, brown belt. Yeah, so I got my brown belt from Greg, and like I said, I was actually I really liked doing the test. I liked being part of kind of that little bit of heritage. Yeah, or, some uh, traditional elements yeah. are worth keeping, right? Yeah, and honestly, and I am not a big guy in tradition when it comes to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think. A lot of it because we don't really know the history of brazilian jiu-jitsu as well as we like to think we do some of these ideas that we hold on to it's like why do we have these in the first place you know it's like it's like the the question like well who who gave uh uh carlos and and helio their black belts who promoted them and the answer is they gave them to themselves they might have learned from Maeda, but there's no evidence that he ever gave them, he never promoted them to anything. So it's like, okay, so now we have their picture on the wall and it's like, and yes, they did create this thing, but like what history are we creating for ourselves? So there's a lot of stuff like bowing is what it is. Yes, it shows respect. I personally much prefer like bumping hands at the, or shaking hands at the end of the class over bowing as a sign of respect. Um, or like bowing to like the mat or things like that. It's kind of like, it's, it's fine if you feel like you need to, but, uh, I mean, I think respect is shown in so many other ways when we're on the mat versus some of these little things. I don't even see those now as like a, a show of respect thing. It's just like the, okay, just so everybody knows we're starting class now. Sure. It's, but, you and, know, and now we're done or and high five and, you know, and at the same thing, we could also do a one, two, three clap. And do the exact same thing, I'm but we don't. Staunchly against that, <laughs> just bad timing, huh? Yeah, I always fuck it up. I clap just, on two. Yeah, and just no. I'm that guy who's clapping like a little later than everybody else. <laughs> like everyone else is done, and you get one more. <laughs> I thought we clapped on four. No shit. Um. So yeah, so I got my brown belt, and I had my brown belt for. So this was this was one of the more influential moments in jujitsu for me. And I've been doing jujitsu for probably like seven years at this point. And I did, and I had my brown belt for about six months and I, some personal stuff in my life happened. And I realized I had to stop teaching, like driving the, the commitment and the commute and everything. It was brutal amongst other things that was going on. And I told Jeremy and Jenny and Jeremy and Jenny, who I will eternally love for, just the environment and the opportunities they provided me at top team and just being family. And I'm, and I love being able to see them when I can. Um, but I told him like, I, I can't do it anymore. And I kind of explained to him what was going on and it was really difficult and it was way more tearful than I thought it was going to be like leaving. And like, I actually did like, you know, a few tears like slipped when I said goodbye to everybody. Cause we had gone from the old gym to the new gym and like these guys who I'd been training with for so long and and i got home and i just like started crying and my wife's like what's wrong because she knew i was going to be done as my last class and she's like i didn't think it was going to be so hard to quit and she looked at me and she goes what do you mean you're what do you mean quit i'm like well we can't afford for me to do jujitsu if i'm not teaching like i get paid but i also don't have to pay mm -hmm. I'm like i can't afford a membership like i can't do jujitsu anymore this thing that i've been doing and she's like are you sure i'm like and to this day, it's like my family comes first. It just does. Like jujitsu has been 
amazingly important to me for a lot of reasons. It definitely wasn't making me any money back then or through podcasting or anything. And I, I was just like, and I'm done. And I was really active on Reddit at the time. And I kind of did this like pseudo tearful goodbye, just being like, I'm done. Like guys, like, thanks. I might still hang around, but I'm not doing jujitsu anymore. And it feels uh, disingenuous for me to give advice to people when I'm not doing it anymore. And the weirdest fucking thing happened that like there was a few gyms in the community that are like, Hey man, if you need a place to roll, you can feel free to stop in, which is super nice. But I also felt kind of weird doing Mm -hmm. that too. Mm -hmm. And, but the weirdest fucking thing happened also. And this guy on Reddit who I'd, I think I'd been on like a podcast with or something. He's like, Hey man. So we did, we pulled some funds together and we, we got you like 400 bucks or something. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we don't want you to quit jujitsu. I'm like, I've never met you before. Like, I'm an, I'm I'm an, I'm a dick to most of the people. Or <laughs> I could totally be viewed as as a dick to people I'm talking to on Reddit because yeah. I don't like to sugarcoat things yeah. in jujitsu. A frank tone of voice. Yes, and totally easily online could be read as this guy's yes. a jerk. Like, if someone's like, I don't think I'm enjoying jujitsu. I need motivation. I'm the guy who says maybe you should quit. It's, it costs a lot of money and it hurts yeah. our bodies. It's a reasonable option. Yeah. You don't like if you don't like it. You don't need to ask someone you've never met for motivation. Like if you don't like it, it's okay. People leave jujitsu all the time. It's totally cool. Like nobody's going to bat an eye. It happens. Um, But like, but the guy's like, yeah, so we like, we got this money. We, we, we pulled together some money for you to keep training, to keep you on the mats for a few months. And it was another time where I was just like, I'm like, am I computer at work or something? I like start crying. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, what the fuck? You guys don't know me. We've never met. Why are you giving me money? That doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I don't deserve this. I haven't done anything to deserve this. And the guy's like, don't worry about it. Like, just keep going. And at the time, and uh, I think Ish or Danny, who used to be the manager at M Theory, reached out and they're like, hey, man, we heard about what's going on. We can, like, help, like, cut you a deal or whatever. Yeah, and, like, scholarship program. Float you through sort of thing. Yeah. And again, I was like, why are you guys doing this? Like, I don't deserve this. This is ridiculous. Like, I've never done anything. Like, to me, nothing I ever did. Thanks, man. Uh, to me, nothing I ever did meant anything. Like, it, was, it, was, it wasn't that I was ever doing anything that I thought was wrong, but I never thought I was doing anything right, not anything that should be rewarded. You're, you're having an impact that you're not conscientious of. Yeah. Conscious and of. frankly, I wouldn't, that I also refuse to acknowledge. I I can't stand like I have a really hard time acknowledging impact on people. I basically wake up with imposter syndrome for everything that I do. So the it, I, it, it'd be weird to say, you know what, this is what I've done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and frankly, you even texting, being like, "Hey, dude, you want to be on this podcast?" I think my first reaction just in my head was, "Why do you want to talk to me?" Like, it's a, a reasonably common response, actually. But yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I haven't done anything. And I, and it got me back on the mat and it was like this community who just like, they literally like wouldn't let me not do jujitsu. And I had posted about it. And I think, you know, I've kind of alluded to it this whole time in my ramblings that we don't talk about the difficult things in jujitsu. We talk about the great things. We talk about the BJJ lifestyle and people like, oh man, if you could be in SoCal and like acai and surfing. And, and I've met dudes in San Diego. They're like, that's literally their lives. They're like, yeah, man, I was surfing this morning. And then they wandered in the mats like 
that's awesome. I don't know if I want to live seven guys to a house personally, but if that's your bay, like go for it. And you know, we talk about these great things and I, and like now I talk about like the great impact that jujitsu's had on me, but super fucking tough, like mentally, like the easiest part about getting your black belt in jujitsu is the jujitsu. The hardest part about getting your black belt is showing up to do the jujitsu. Like life gets in the way. Like I walked away from the mat and people arguably pulled me back onto it. I was ready to leave. My life changed. My priorities changed. Like jujitsu was not the most important thing to me anymore. So people talk about like, why did blue belts quit? Shit changed. You know, it was awesome when there were white belts, when you're learning, everything's new. Now you're a blue belt. It's like, oh shit, is there an expectation? Or, oh fuck, I got to learn Kimura from guard again. This sucks. It's like, so your attitudes changed, your perceptions changed. Like, not to mention you're two, three years older than you were, and you're having a kid now, or somebody's passed away. Yeah, your hours changed, your finances yep. changed. Any number of reasons for people to leave, or physically, it's hard. Like it takes a toll on you, and it can take a toll on you mentally. Like a good day on the mats is amazing, and a bad day on the mats can be fucking brutal. You know, like all of a sudden, like nothing works. Like, oh my God, I was crushed. I couldn't get this guy off my back. This fucking blue belt kept passing my guard, whatever. And we can come up with however many excuses we want on the map, but we know the reality. Like, and like shit changes like all the time, but people don't talk about it. Like people like try and talk about like a solution to the blue belt blues as if it's some magic pill, as opposed to you're not a white belt. You're not new anymore stuff changed and i post and i wrote this article called the brown belt blues and i've talked about this with jeremy before because we both kind of went through it too like we do we've been doing this a really long time and it's like now what it's like and like so we we get our black belts like we don't compete like what like why are we still doing this like it's hard and like for him he's he's also a gym owner and he's got to deal with so many other things on top of it and being a coach in the nhl too and having to travel on top of it and well, I mean, if you're you're eight to ten years into your relationship with jujitsu, let's say at that yeah. point, a lot of people, this is like one of the longest relationships of your life. Yeah, more, only, more than likely, like elementary school and your mom and your dad. Yeah, maybe all, a spouse. Right. For me, it was just my wife, and my wife, right. her being my wife, only beat it by a few months, and like, and for me, like, I was a purple belt for four years. I was a brown belt for four and a half, like. It was, it was actually taking me longer each belt <laughs> for some fucking reason, <laughs> which also it fucked with my head. Right. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why am I not good enough? Maybe the answer was I wasn't competing enough, like, but I also didn't want to spend the money. Well, the paper version of your, your journey yeah. was decelerating. Exactly. Yeah. So what then the it, fuck, right? Well, and I start, and you start questioning yourself and you start questioning the choices that you made, like. God, I dedicated a lot of time to this. And now what? And I remember like someone had commented on the article, they're like, well, why don't you quit? And it might have been someone being snide because I told them to quit or something at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but at the but at the same time, I took it exactly like I would have taken it had I said it. And I was like, that's a really good point. And I said, because after a while, jujitsu stops being a thing you do and it starts becoming a person you are. It's really hard to leave a thing when you don't remember who you were before it. That's a long relationship thing. Right? Yeah. Like 
it's tough to leave a marriage too or or what you start to see is a bad relationship Mm -hmm. and it's tough to leave because you got time in like i got to start all over doing something else or say that i or be that guy who say i used to do this when you used to make fun of that guy who used to say that like oh my god you were I remember there being guys talking about quitting at Brown Belt. Like every once in a while you'd hear about it, be like, fucking why? You're almost there. And the guy's answer would be like, I don't compete. I don't teach. You know, like I don't really have goals anymore. But people don't talk about it. It's like we're constantly reevaluating why we do things in life. And jujitsu is no different. So the these moments of blues, it's just self, it's just reevaluation. Do you want to be there? And if you don't, that's fucking fine. Because the mat actually isn't going anywhere. If you're like, I can't do this. I need to walk away. Walk away. Come back and tell me what you learned. Like, it's fine. If you want to if you want to be that guy who quits for 10 years and then comes back and is like, God, I wish I hadn't quit for 10 years. Fine. But you came back. You know, like I always hated Chris Hauter had a line that said, you know, you're going to be somewhere in 10 years. Why not be a black belt too? It took me 11. So I was like, fuck you, Chris <laughs> But But it is that. Like, and you can... And you can come back and I could leave and I could come back. And, you know, COVID hit. I was gone for, I think it was almost like 400 days. I wasn't in the gym and I came back and it's like, yeah, I feel really weird. And this is probably going to be super shaky, but I'll come back. And now, you know, right now my family and schedule and everything else, I'm there once a week. But like, that's what I'm okay with. Like, you know, when you start out and you're like, oh, I got to do this five days a week, six days a week. You know, oh, two classes a day. That'd be awesome. Then it's like, all right, well, shit's going on. So let's oh, three classes a week. You talk with your wife a little like, hey, you have to go to jujitsu today. Like, oh, okay, well, 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 not today, but I'll go on Saturday or something. And then, and then it's just like, just makes me happy. If I can go twice a week, that's fine. I definitely don't need more. My body fucking hurts when I roll with some of these guys now. <laughs> my back is killing me. Like I'm missing cartilage in my knee. <laughs> but we don't talk about, I think sometimes people are also afraid to poke holes in things that they love. Like it'll make it weaker instead of it'll make it real. Because I don't believe things that sound too good to be true. And I've heard stories about black belts like super crazy high-level black belts who if i said their name right now you would be like yeah i know who that is who have said like kind of like in confidence about stuff like i i I think this was a mistake because all of a sudden like you're in your 30s and your 40s you've been doing jujitsu for 20 plus years they don't own their own gym they're basically on someone else's dime but they're teaching like six classes a day their body's getting broken down everybody's coming in trying to challenge them people are always expecting something out of them but like they can't say it. Like they can't come out and say it without some sort of repercussion, like, oh, oh, so this is where you are now. Like, oh, like how the mighty have fallen or some troll or whatever. Like, like it'll poke holes in it. When I think the most like the most important stories in jujitsu are the people that just struggle. Like Bill Cooper is he, I don't know Bill Cooper. Exactly. Bill mm-hmm. the Grill Cooper. So he used Bill the Grill Cooper. Bill the Grill because he's got fucked up teeth. That's an amazing <laughs> name. So Bill the Grill Cooper and like and Jeff Glover came up at the same time. Mm. And Jeff Glover ended up having more success than Bill Bill. Uh Bill came from a really hard place, but he also had like a I think he had like a big uh, like a breakdancing background, like the Martinez brothers. And he got his black belt when he was like I think he was like 18 in a few months or something. He was the youngest black belt of all time. He had been doing jujitsu for like four and a half years or something. His 
match if you google like build a grill cooper versus cyborg at the grapplers quest ultimate or absolute division it's 10 minutes bill's like 50 pounds lighter than cyborg it's a fucking like i hate calling anything a war in jujitsu it's a it's sick though like i think it says war in the title this little dude is like going toe-to-toe with cyborg the whole time back and forth it's just amazing like bill cooper like at his peak was just fucking amazing but he could never quite get that gold like in competitions and he had crazy demons he struggled with heroin addiction and he struggled with a really shitty upbringing i think he's teaching classes down in like louisiana like super low-key now he doesn't post videos or anything but like i feel like his conversation and his struggles and his journey and like you talk like with tj about like like military guys and ptsd and like how jujitsu can help just human touch between men who've grown up in a toxic masculinity environment where it's okay to touch another guy like okay you can make your homophobic jokes to like defuse it but the reality is human touch makes a difference and it can help and it can heal so much even if you're just like a mad white kid from the suburbs at 20 <laughs> years old who thinks he wants to punch something when reality is he just wants to belong somewhere. Yeah. The connection to the community and the networking with so, other people. Exactly. Like, like how someone else might look at church. I look at jujitsu mm-hmm. like, like that's as close to my religion as I'm going to find. And because of what I've been able to get from it and, be, and the sense that I've been able to get out of it. And I've been disenchanted as fuck by a lot of stuff that I've seen in jujitsu that made me pull back a lot because my path has been so zigzaggy and I've gotten so deep involved with like other gyms and seen the way people can talk about each other and like behind each other's backs and stuff like that. They got me really disenchanted, which is why I stopped like doing the the blog and stuff like that. Like I don't, I was like, I don't want to be involved with this anymore. Like I want to train and just be on the mat with people that I'm training with. And I don't want to hear any of it because it can still get so fucking toxic that like, like, I don't even have like words for like, sometimes like you hear people talking and you're like, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you saying that? And we love saying stuff like, oh, we're on the mat. We're all equal. Okay. So we're equal on the mat. And then you're going to fucking tell that joke on Twitter. You're going to vote for that legislation that hurts the socioeconomic background. You're going to do all this other shit. Oh, but on the mat, we're equal. But the moment we're off the mat, you don't fucking care about that person. And unfortunately, like I see it too. Like people are like, oh no, we're the same. Like we're brothers shaking hands and everything. It's like, if you met that person on the street and you didn't know who they were, you'd fucking ignore them. Or you might say something to your friends about them or whatever else. And so unfortunately people use this common like enjoyment as like a shield or an excuse. And I think that kind of ruins jujitsu. Or or even a mask. Yeah, yeah. This is what I think. This is who I am. Exactly. And And I take it off and I go home. And I'm a good guy and we shake hands and I respect you in the gym. Which kind of goes to the reference to the recent headlines, actually. Yeah, exactly. This mask of the expert and the good guy and the coach and the leader getting abused. Yeah. And, And I think, unfortunately, I think that it doesn't get talked about enough. And I don't... I don't want to, people probably turned off the podcast at this point. They're like, why does this guy still do jujitsu anyway? Yeah. And why does this other guy do a podcast? They're not listening. It's okay. That's we're, fair. We're alone here. Um, Polly's here. Because, <laughs> to Polly. because jujitsu has been so important to me, but at the same time, I think it's, it's dangerous 
when you put anything on a pedestal, when you create these, not false narratives, but just the rose colored glasses. Like if you take it off, it could also change people's perception and the struggles that they're dealing with. Maybe people don't drop out so much because it's okay to talk about it, that they don't feel so fucked up if they can actually say, okay, so I got my blue belt last week and I don't feel like I deserve it. Like, cause it, it amazes me how many times I used to see that on Reddit. Like I got this rank and I didn't deserve it. And I honestly felt that way as a purple belt because I got it so fast. So I always felt comfortable telling people, earn the rank, wear the rank. If you get your purple belt, you walk away for 10 years, you step back on the mat, do not put that white belt on. You earned your purple belt, but you're going to earn it every single day until you get your brown belt. Like you might, you might not think you earn it or you deserve it. So fucking earn it. Like you wear it though. And you will keep earning it until the day you get your brown belt. And you will keep earning your brown belt today until you get your black belt. And you will keep earning your black belt the rest of the days of your life because that's just how it goes. So getting getting a blue belt tied on is a challenge to become a blue belt. Yeah, I would actually argue that. And once it's a faded four stripe, you know, tattered blue belt, you're a blue belt. By the way, here's your purple belt. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Now earn it. Like, I don't think, like, I think you, I think the day you've earned your belt is the day you get your next one. Sure. And, and that's, there's romance in that. I know you said there's no romance, but there's romance in that from my perspective, brother. You've just been drinking too heavily. No, no, no. What? I'm 300 pounds. That's three beers. Well, four. (laughs) Those are really tall (laughs) cans. Those are tall beers. (laughs) But I like your point about the, um, like the talking about the downsides and the negative sides because more and more people are doing that. The thing that, pops into my mind is like college degrees mm-hmm. you know four like year it, degree this, this is what you need to do so you can get this so you can have that and then boom that was the end of the conversation and yeah. then you know a generation and a half later we're going wait a minute we didn't talk about all the rest of the details i know man i really wish there'd been more movies about guys who are plumbers and welders and electricians who have jobs after a two-year degree without student loans. Yeah, yeah. It's not as sexy as living in a dorm and being poor <laughs> or having job security for the rest of my when life. When you describe the college experience plainly, it does not sound sexy at all. It is not at all. It's no. fucking if you're gross. like John Mulaney talk about the college yes. experience, I'm like, that sums it up pretty well yeah. as a fellow English major. Yeah. yeah. I just got a piece of paper for uh or to learn a language I already spoke and read a bunch of books or for you to tell me to read a bunch of books that I never read. (laughs) Well, I have a a client is a fitness powerlifting client who uh, got a degree in English and it's somebody else's line because I'm not this funny. I have my moments, but I'm not this funny. I said, so you paid $60,000 for a degree you could have gotten in like 87 cents in late fees from the library. Yeah. I don't know who said it originally, but that's about it. God, that sounds so familiar. That was, uh, oh no, that was like, uh, that was like Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, yes, it was. That's exactly right. Yeah. The, the other phrase you used that I was thinking before you said it is, the problem with any pursuit is that rose-colored glasses look and feel fashionable. Once yeah. you get them on and things look good, yeah. it's hard to take them off because it looks good on you. You know, yeah, you're enjoying that thing. Cool, keep it up. Great, great. You know? Well, and then you feel like you have to keep doing it because then all the people behind you start doing it and then you're right. like and i've been talking this up so much i'm talking about a ju- i got this tattoo that says jujitsu saves and now i need to like live that the rest of my life when the reality is is like it's sa- yeah it saved you in the moment and maybe it does keep saving you 
Hold on. Is there a tattoo out there that says jujitsu saves? Sure. That people get. Oh, I've seen so many jujitsu tattoos There's out there. Be. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen like jujitsu. I've seen jujitsu saves. I've seen like jujitsu save my life, whatever. And for some reasons, for some not reasons, for some people, it's true. Like the guys that like Daisy Fresh out in Illinois were all like living in that like abandoned laundry room, but they're all just becoming a bunch of monsters on the mat, but they're living with like no money, no driver's licenses because they don't have permanent addresses. Like it's like (laughs) they're they're grinding it so brutally hard in Illinois where it's like a hundred degrees in the summer and like negative in the winter. And it's a, it's amazing. Like if you look up Daisy Fresh BJJ on YouTube, Mm -hmm. there's like a, Mm -hmm. a series of them. Yeah. And I started watching them. I'm like, I got to like episode two. I'm like, done. Can't do it. Can't watch this anymore. Cause it's also, it's also so hard to watch these guys lose when your whole life is this thing. And when it matters. Yeah. And at the same time, it doesn't matter, but it does because this is what they have. This is all right. they have right. at the moment. Hopefully they'll move on to amazing pursuits, open amazing gyms, captains of his industry, whatever. Um, <laughs> not captains industry, like leading on profits, something <laughs> beneficial for people. <laughs> something cooler. Yeah. Um, but it's so hard to watch these guys who it's like, and I'm sure they're fucking monsters. Where if I, if I rolled against them or something, I'd be like, well, I need to reevaluate my stance in jujitsu. <laughs> where the reality is, is a world champion level grappler, like at blue belt will beat a hobbyist at any level. Like me going against some guy who wins double gold blue belt, I'll probably lose. I probably won't. If nothing else, I, he'll probably beat me on points. He might not tap me, but that muscle memory, that explosiveness, the fact that he's like 20 years old and like 2% body fat and the fact that, you know, I just got done binging the Great British Bake Off like right before <laughs> watching and I had some Indian food before stepping on the mat. I don't have a chance. It's, it's not going to happen. It's such a good show, though. Oh, it just makes me feel so happy. Yeah, man. Did you roll with those? Wasn't that like four I years didn't. ago? I when... didn't. I wrote an article about it, though, saying like, am I better than a blue belt? Nope. <laughs> because I watched them roll. Like, I, I think, I don't know if I didn't get the chance. They were kind of in the other corner. Like, I was watching them roll with like Zach and a few other guys. But their their like limbs were just moving like independent. I swear, like if you looked in their eyes, you'd think they were asleep. Because it didn't look like they were concentrating at all, but their body was reacting so fucking quickly to everything. Who are you talking about? Uh it was this blue belt double gold medalist came in with uh, Professor and, Hanan yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And probably he, like four years ago now. Think about it, right? Twenty twenty throws it off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was because I was a brown belt. And he, they just smoked everybody. Like it was like they had, he had literally just come from winning double golds and he just, it was just a different level. Like, and I remember there was a guy who was traveling through years and years ago. I think I might've been a purple belt. He came through and he was like the assistant of someone else who was getting ready to go to worlds mundials, whatever you want to call it. And he was just like the assistant and like the guy was basically doing like a tour of seminars to make some money to go out and do worlds. And his assistants are rolling with guys after class. And he was, I think he was a white belt. He might've been a blue belt, smoked everybody at the Academy. Like everyone rolled against him, spider guard, sweep triangle, spider guard, sweep, omoplata, spider guard, whatever smoked everybody. So that afterwards, like the, the locker room is just quiet. Like everyone is reevaluating their position, like their choices in life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this kid who's like a blue belt just smoked everybody what's going on and then he find out the kid was like a brazilian national wrestling champion who'd been doing jiu-jitsu for like six years but his instructor was holding him back until he won golds 
at worlds and everything else. And it's like, okay, story behind the scenes and everything, which is also super destructive. Like that's the hard part about rank. Some guy who never competes might get promoted faster or slower than someone who does. Like there's this old story. So Hickson used to be notoriously difficult to get a black belt from or any rank from, and he eventually lightened up a lot on it. And there was this seminar where these two guys were getting black belts. One of them was like a world, not like a world champion level, but he was competitive enough to be really good in the scene. And this other guy was like 60 years old and been doing jujitsu for like 15 years, sort of, and they both get a black belt. And this guy kind of, someone like kind of pulls six into the side. I was like, what? Why is that guy getting a black belt? Like that guy, he's like, he's really old. Like, honestly, like he's not very good. Like he just, he can, he knows the techniques. He just can't really implement them ever. And Hickson goes, because he's never going to have to. He's like, it's different. That world champion who has to compete at that stage, he, I think he's ready to compete against other black belts at that level. But that black belt who's 60 years old, who's been training even longer than him, he just loves, he just loves jujitsu. I can give him a black belt. It doesn't mean anything. He's going to carry on the banner a different way. Like he's going to show that people can get their black belt later in life. See the advantage of like a subjective view where like, I know your mission is this compared to that person's mission, that person's mission. Yeah. Like you are where you need to be. Yeah. Me as a black belt, for example, like I'm sure people like talk about like, like Marcus at the gym as a black belt, super competitive. Like he was, I don't know if he is ranked or he was ranked in like, as like a lightweight or featherweight or whatever his weight is in competitions as an adult black belt. We have two really fucking different paths (laughs) and me taking like 11 years to get my black belt. And I don't know how long it took him to get his, like it's different because I don't have to prove mine the way he does. Like I just, I just show up to the gym when I want to show up to the gym. He shows up to compete he shows up to go on the stage against the toughest guys in the world at his weight and like it's just different so like this it's like the great thing is also the worst thing about jujitsu that there's no standardization of belts you know like i've gone to gyms where i've rolled with blue belts who are were just like monsters because they had like wrestling pedigrees and they were just like intense they had that go 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 and i've gone to gyms where i rolled with like brown belts and stuff where i was like Oh, the I don't know about your standards here. A little to the point of scared. Like, is this a McDojo? Is this a bad day? Is because <laughs> I'm a visitor and you're just not trying to be a dick to me? Yeah, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but that's the reality. I but mean, it seems like the 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 potential for subjectivity would the positives would outweigh the negatives, as long as you're in like a decent, reputable gym, so to speak. Because like, it's going to allow me, a guy who's doing it because it's fun and it's cool to progress and reach a quote-unquote certain level is next not, to a guy like marcus let's say who has an entirely different path in front of him yeah as long as everybody holds jujitsu to the same standard right. which we don't because i bet anything that you will find gyms out there that are shit talking some other gyms grapplers like as a purple belt or oh they're sandbagging the shit out of that guy or whatever they're talking shit one way or another and there's this quote i can't remember who said it it was in some jujitsu documentary i saw and the context was different but it was like when you have no opposition from outside you'll find opposition inside and their their comment was 
they needed to start doing jujitsu competitions because without jujitsu competitions, guys in the, in the gym were looking at each other like competition. Like they were finding problems. Whereas the reality is, is I think with jujitsu and what the UFC original UFCs did is they eliminated the competition of other martial arts as being street effective, we'll say, or, or, or no hold barred effective. So all of a sudden Kung Fu and, and karate got really exposed. And so when you eliminated like the outside, like we started turning in on ourselves. So now we got guys that are like, oh, you don't train self-defense. That's not jujitsu. Oh, you, you can't do single leg X. What's wrong with you? Oh, you never train leg locks. You, why are you forgetting 50% of the body? Uh, anything like the, the number of arguments and bullshit politics that we create in this game we play that means nothing to anybody except us as individuals is insane we'll find a point of contention always every single time we will find someone will disagree with the even if you say Hey man, do whatever kind of jujitsu you want. Someone will say, fuck you. No, we're going to do it this way. What do you mean? I just said, do, do whatever you want. I don't care. You're going to do it this way. Like, God damn it. I don't know what I'm supposed to say anymore. <laughs> and it happens all the time that people can't just be like, oh, is that how you guys train? Cool. Okay. As opposed to that never work. Like, you guys don't do wrestling training. You don't do judo practice beforehand. Oh, you starting from your knees. What do you care? It's just, it's a game. We play this little game that so, we pay to play. You're correct. You're correct. Yeah, yeah. I pay a fee to play. So how much of the, the this like cultural phenomenon you're talking about, this impression is uh, online versus your experience in person at gyms? It's better in person. It has to be. Um, nine times out of 10, it's better in person. Um. More, more often than not, unfortunately, we do still, it's still very keyboard worry, worry. That's a word. It is now. Oh, this is delicious tequila, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I always say that, that like internet trolling and road rage are close cousins because mm. you, you rage me on the road. I can't reach over and slap you in the face. Yeah. And you're behind a computer in some other state. I can't reach over and slap you in the face. So you're going to present yourself differently in both oh. scenarios. I mean, I've seen guys talk shit so bad online and then see the see that guy show up at like a competition or something. Doesn't say a fucking word. To the person they were just talking more than happy to just try and drag through the mud and then they see him in person and they got nothing to say and it's not i don't want to i mean coward sure like there have been plenty of times i've told my wife this so like my journey through jujitsu hasn't been perfect either there have been plenty of times where i said things that i shouldn't say not because i didn't believe them because i there i don't say things that i don't believe but there's there's a time and a place. And should I have said that thing to that person at that time? Probably not. I didn't need to. I didn't need to say it at all. It didn't make any difference, but I did. And, but it's, yeah, it's these people that will just some of the fucking venom they will spew online and then show up and just act like happy go lucky or as if nothing's wrong. And it's like, how do you live your life like that? <laughs> like some of the comments I've seen like during like the last year and stuff online. And then it's like, mm. you, oh my God, you are the worst sort of person. Like I can't, and you do the same thing that I do. And like, you're going to talk about like living like a jujitsu lifestyle. Like, I think I need to reevaluate what a jujitsu lifestyle is <laughs> if that's what you're living right now. See, that's why I only talk shit to upper belts and in person mostly. 
And he slapped me in the face yesterday. I that was today, bro. It might feel like yesterday. <laughs> knocked you. Holy shit! It knocked you back a day. Yeah, yeah. Paulie. That was Saturday. Huh? What morning. fucking day is it, Paulie? It's Sunday. Sunday today. All right, then we got it squared away. He that said was it was yesterday. Saturday. It was yesterday. Then that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm gonna take that's that how I. That's, that's, yeah, that's how I start my rolls with TJ Kreitzer. Just whoosh, right in the face, and then he just destroys me. Got to wake up. Yeah. Tell you what, jujitsu is a lot different when you start adding some slaps to it. Yeah, they should start a competitive federation. Yeah, um, someone should really jump on that. How long? <laughs> It won't go anywhere. How long? Uh, how long of a break did you take? When? When you left MTT? When I left MTT, I think you, it was, I was people off, reached out, but yeah. how long of a break was it? It was about three months. Okay, so not bad. It wasn't bad at all. And honestly, if if people hadn't reached out like they did, I may have never gone back. I don't sure. know. I mean, even because unfortunately, if enough time happens in the middle like even going back after three months i felt really weird like oh my grips are gonna be gone. Oh, shit coming back after covid i'm like i i got my black belt like two years ago or two and a half years ago or whatever and i'm gonna come back and like i have no grip like that's why i started doing no gi i'm like i don't have grips i can't do fucking gi right away i have enough muscle memory to pull off no gi but i'm like i can't grab a collar or something without my hand just like like cracking and, open. yeah look like the crypt keeper or something and, <laughs> um but so yeah even after three months i felt really weird but if i had gone longer and i'm sure it happens to a lot of people that leave the game they kind of want to go back but then they're like am i gonna be a fraud if i go back like and like the question like oh i haven't done jujitsu in like five years but i was a purple belt and like i should wear a white belt again right it's like no it's like yeah you're not gonna be good right away and that's fine like the knowledge is in there somewhere. It's yeah, going to take your time. knowledge base is gigantic compared to a white belt at that point. And speaking as a person who's four years at a purple belt, if it takes you, if you get back on the mat, and it takes you four more years to earn your brown belt. Fine, it just is what it is. Um, you just kind of have to accept it to a certain level, or quit because you can. It's an option. It's not a bad thing. It's not a scary thing. Um, yeah, sit well, down with a notebook and do the pros and cons list of yeah. continuing or stopping or starting again or any of it. Yeah, and if you need, and if there's something else that sounds more appealing, if you're like, oh god, I want to try boxing, or or shit, you know, there's plenty of times where like I see, like I've seen like Greg Nelson like online doing, I don't even know what they're called, but it's like he'll have like an Escrima stick, like doing Jeet Kune Do or whatever. I'm like, you see some of these like slot, like I got really into that forged in fire show where guys yes. just like forge knives. Yeah, and there's that one guy who's like a slot master, and he he'll like just like do moves like the knife, like oh my god, that guy would just murder me <laughs> like yeah if it's on the ground i have a chance but if we're standing he has a knife in his hand i'm gonna die so fast it'll probably be awesome but or if someone or if they have like a stick in his hand or something yeah. who just destroy i would never grab that stick i don't care what the gracie self-defense book says right, right. i am never getting that stick away from him <laughs> he'll hit me so many times so yeah if it's a different martial art if you want to try judo which more power to you if you transition yeah. from jujitsu to judo because yeah. that sounds so brutal to me right the, the planet is a powerful weapon oh, well just the reps i can't handle it against like, the planet yeah. that's my point i mean <laughs> my my arguably worst jujitsu injury that like still kind of haunts me and like led to like more cartilage damage was doing judo like like i just my body didn't turn the way it was supposed to and like my kneecap popped out, like I dropped and then oh. like it popped back in, fortunately. 
and my health insurance was shit. So I stayed off the mat for like two weeks and then like overcompensated on my other legs. So my other knee went to shit and mm. basically just stopped running because running sucks anyway. Yes, it does. But like I like to say that I would run if I could and I know I wouldn't. Like <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's the worst. It should be an imposter syndrome issue, but I'm comfortable saying oh. I would. Which is unfortunate because it's also the best it's also the best self-defense in the world is like, just running away. Right. Like that's step one. Just run go away or step one is not being there but step two is run what's the line don't do uh stupid things with stupid people at stupid times oh that's a a thing out there sums up my college career (laughs) right right a lot of people's that's one of those (laughs) that's one of those uh like things you hear a specific personality specific brand says that Mm. phrase a lot in like the self-defense realm don't do stupid things with stupid people stupid times pretty fucking good advice i remember i like i went to i went to las vegas for a bachelor party years ago and it just so happened to be the same weekend as a grappler's quest and you can look up the grappler's quest because it's amazing because it's the one where uh davy ramos broke jeff monson's arm and jeff monson the snowman like he's fucking gigantic so the fact that this i mean he said you can call Davey almost a little brazilian but he's also an adcc gold medalist but he got jeff monson an armbar and broke his arm so if you look up like the um, stuart cooper i think it's adc 2011 highlights there's a scene where monson like takes off his shirt and he's all tatted up but his arm is super bandaged up that's because Davey ramos broke his arm like at that event and Davey ramos was in my adult division <laughs> And, Come on, and I had no idea who he was. I look at this guy, and he looks like a little cyborg. I'm like, interesting. Like shaved head, kind of little. All he did immediately sit down, went inverted to knee bar, and he just tap everybody out, just like boom, like it was nothing. And it was just like a joke. And then I went over to and like while I was doing like one of my matches, like my master's division got called at the same time, and I literally yelled at him like, "Give me a minute!" And then like I got tapped out, and I went over there, and like I lost on points or something. But I uh because i was competing in like the expert class against some guy who'd been doing jujitsu like 10 years and i was like five years in but he's a super nice guy he was like a vice he was like a, a vice cop in las vegas and i didn't know how to get back to my hotel and he ended up giving me a ride and i was chatting with him because i like i knew the the guy who owned his jim mika who's an amazing instructor out in las vegas and i so i go i'm at this bachelor party and and we're driving back to the hotel with this swat or this uh, vice officer and he's like so like a couple pieces of advice i'm like all right he's like one you know those trucks that go like up and down the strip that like advertise like girls he goes that's us yeah those were run by the cops those are actually basically just like rolling sting operations trying to get people to like call and like look for prostitutes because prostitution is not legal in vegas make a note of that paulie yeah just you know just for future reference just to say when when this podcast goes on the road (laughs) and and then the other one he says like and last night some dude got stabbed at like the whatever the overpass was by like the the between like the mgm grand and um excalibur or something like some guy got some tourist got stabbed so like the police is like out and like forced this weekend so he's like you're here with a bachelor party and i was like yeah he's like don't get into trouble because like we're not going to ask questions right now it's high alert we're going to arrest you you're going to spend the weekend in lockup and i kind of go back and i tell the guys like what happened and they're like yeah but if we get in a fight you got our back right i was like no like you kidding me (laughs) 
I'll literally be watching it happen. Like if, if we had cell phone videos back then, I probably would have taken a cell phone video of it. I'm like, you start a fight, you end a fight. I've told my wife that. I'm like, listen, <laughs> you have a little too much to drink. If you start it, if they start it, and that's one thing. But if you start it, we're going to see where this goes for a little bit first. Like it's just, it's this weird thing where, like I said earlier, it's like the longer you do it, the idea of getting in a fight just sounds like such a waste of everything like for everybody like especially like professional fighters like you get these guys who might be insane like sean strickland or something who seem like they just want to fight everybody over everything all the time it's like you're a professional why would you want to fight if money wasn't involved and frankly if you ask me it's like why would you even want to fight if money's involved that sounds horrible <laughs> yeah, that that sounds more my speed for sure and that's kind of what it turned into people still ask me if i compete and i'm like nah, no like i did one tournament after i got my black belt or just like a super fight at the fulton thing and and i was like and after that i was like yeah it was cool that i won but then i was like okay like i because honestly i have the almost the exact same feeling when i win as when i lose like if i lose i'm like ah oh, shit like I trained hard or maybe I didn't train hard enough, but I wasted a lot of time and money on this. And if I win, I'm like, well, now what? Got a like, big hug from Chris. There you go. Yeah. And then we went to Stanley's. That's true. We did go to Stanley's, but I think we can go to Stanley's even if I don't win jiu-jitsu <laughs> matches. Um, or maybe I can't. Maybe that's why we haven't come back to Stanley's because I haven't competed. But it just, like, I don't have that drive. Like winning... I, I'm sure people say this all the time. I know I've heard it from other people. It's just the training. I just like training. Same. I love competition training. There are a few things better than like when, I mean, obviously with COVID and everything else, like I, I haven't been a part of it, but like when like worlds or pans training starts, like when like I officially call like it's starting today and you know that like the three man double leg like takedown drills are gonna like you're just going back and forth like double leg sprawl double leg sprawl double and you're just like dying ready to throw up and like in the locker room afterwards and it's just quiet because nobody's got the energy to even make a joke you just all feel sick and exhausted but then you leave and you're like i i feel like shit and i'm so glad i did that like i'll go home and my wife will look at me and she'll, she'll just say what happened to you <laughs> because like something is just drained from my face but it's like but you're so glad you put yourself through that misery because you, you got through and it's going to be a little better next time. It's going to be a little better. And then sometimes you're going to be on the mat and you'll feel like you're going like full speed the whole time and you're not super tanked and you're like, what's going on? Like, Oh my God, this works. <laughs> the, the human body's amazing. And then, you know, then I just go home and have a beer and mm -hmm. <laughs> go to sleep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And other people go and they become world beaters or try to be world beaters. And then like, it doesn't work out for them. And and like that's that's just a tough path too. Like if you want that competition path, that's more power to you, because that's elite territory. If you can make anything happen out of that, when your stakes are high, yeah, and then some. Especially, but it also depends on the person. How much you tie your identity into anything is going to impact a lot of things in life. You know, like I mentioned, like the concept of toxic masculinity. If you're suddenly your views on what being a man is are threatened. If you're super tied up into those concepts, of course, you're going to become defensive and shitty about it. But if you can take a step back and say, you know what, that, that probably is shitty. Like, that's okay that we're not doing that anymore. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, you know, people got really cool with not like abusing children and wives. <laughs> like, I think we can be cool about a lot of other things. <laughs> like, just, just fucking stop it. It's like, like we were talking about earlier with language. 
language changes every day. Mm-hmm. New words, new terms, new songs come out, and also in the vernacular changes. Webster Dictionary updates every single year with new words. Like like Jiggy. Jig, dough. D apostrophe O-H is in Webster's. <laughs> it's a word, officially. It happens all the time. So these people that are like, oh, God, everything's changing. Yes, yeah. it's changing. Yes, it's it always changing. It's not the strongest who survives. It's the most adaptable. Yeah, like like Chris Howder, he co-opted the phrase from somewhere else, but it's not who's best, it's who's left. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. It's, yeah, it's just... just it's okay. Shit changes. It's always changed. It always will change. And we're all going to die yeah. anyway. So fuck it. Just enjoy the ride and stop being so mad about it. And be okay saying, taking a step back and saying, you know, maybe that thing that I did or that I said, it wasn't cool. Like I can do better. One thing I am a little, not a lot mad about, but a little mad about is we're still on Brown Belt, John. <laughs> So I quit. This is the longest story to black belt. I warned you, and I love it. I'm I in. warned you when we started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this we're is I'm, I'm checking my batteries over here, though. You know, we're we're good, but let's let's rock. Okay, so I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll get there. Um, Don't rush it. Take keep it slow, but I just want to keep us on on pace. So I got brown belt. I got my brown belt. It was not long before my daughter was born. I got my brown belt from Greg, and then a few months after that, I ended up leaving top team, stopped coaching. And pulled me back on the mat. And that's when I started training with Ishmael at M Theory. And first and foremost, like I, I I said this even before I trained with Ishmael. People used to ask me where they should train because I'd been around uh, most of the gyms in the Twin Cities and a lot of Minnesota, frankly. And they'd say, and I'd be like, well, where do you live? And if they gave anywhere in the West Metro, I'd say, go to M Theory. Like, go train with Ish. And they'd be like, any reason? And I'm like, if nothing else, and this might be the weirdest way to phrase it, Ishmael's the only instructor I've never heard anything negative about. Because I've been around to a lot of gyms, a lot of fights. People talk shit about everybody. Never once have I ever said, oh, that fucking Ishmael. What a piece of shit. Because he doesn't care. Like, you come from a different gym, he's like, come on in. Like, just train. He doesn't care if you're from another gym or another affiliation. It doesn't matter. Like, And I think because part of it is because like the way jujitsu should be is we're not trying to keep secrets. There's no secrets to this. He's, he sees the evolving game and he's trying to evolve with it and pick up these techniques and keep going. Cause they're out there. They're out there to see. So someone coming in, if they're like, Hey man, like I want to get ready for pans or something, or we're working on whatever. I'd be like, all right, come on in. Like, show me what you got. Like, let's roll. And like, if you're cool, like if you're not trying to like mess anybody up or like go to the point of like be, just being a dangerous training partner, like he'll coach you. Like you could be a totally different affiliation and he'll coach you at a term. He doesn't care. Like he's like, it's just going to help. Like, and so like the idea that like you can actually train in an environment where you're like, not only is he like actively trying to like evolve the game, but he's also trying to like improve, <laughs> it sounds super cheesy, improve the world through jujitsu. Cause obviously like with his jujitsu really, or education fund and everything else. And like the impact that jujitsu can have on people's lives and just getting to be a student again is so awesome. Like I said, you could not pay me to be a teacher again. Being a teacher is so exhausting being a head instructor, not only from the personal aspects of the students in which you have to deal with, not worrying about money or anything else, coming up with just new shit to teach or the same stuff and trying to keep it 
like exciting or interesting or whatever, or you just for, like, if I don't want to go to the gym, I don't go to the gym. <laughs> if a gym owner doesn't want to go to the gym, he's still fucking got to go to the gym. Yeah. He's out of business. Yeah. And well, and from, from a teacher standpoint, you've got, let's say 15 people in front of you. That's potentially 15 different learning styles, which uh-huh. is potentially 15 different ways of explaining the thing, et cetera, et, well, et cetera. Not et cetera. to mention physical limitations, you know, different sizes, different, you know, Jim Vang. Like you get these guys that are just amazing personalities and supportive and like enthusiastic and everything else. And yet physical disabilities, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let's figure this out. How can we do this? Let's figure, or a variation or something else that we can work on or something like that. Because you also want to keep like people like Jim who are just like fucking shining lights. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You want to keep them involved and just, just in the atmosphere in general, because they're also rare. And so, yeah, just the idea of being able to just be a student again and just like, yes, I'm going to show up. You're going to tell me what to do and I'm going to happily just do it. I'm going to do it a bunch and then we're going to roll. I'm going to go home and be done. And I did that for like four and a half years. (laughs) And then I got my black belt and it was, it was actually a pretty unexciting four and a half years or so like no major life changes that i can think of um although quick shout out and this is only nick knows this i'll tell you guys this after after the year quick shout out to nick scratty who's been very important to my jujitsu career much later in life also with covid and with something else um as my only training partner during covid um because i also hated i always hated instructional videos and i was like ah we can just roll figure stuff out it's like yeah but then we started like actually doing some like Lachlan Giles and like some like different like Z guard and stuff. And cause I'm super lazy with my Z guard and my shield guard. I used to just like hang out there because like, I'd stall and cause I'm old and tired and shit. Um, I'm like, ah, oh, I could probably do, I should probably do something with this. Right. Instead of basically waiting for someone to pass me. So we started playing that stuff. And now we've like gone back on the mats and we'll text each other. Like, Oh shit, we, I tried this and it totally worked. And like, but I grabbed this arm or whatever. And like, you know, you kind of feel that excitement again. And like, sometimes you just, you also need that kick in the ass to be like, do something different. Like if you're stalling out, do something different. If you've got the blues, can you do something different? Can doing something different fix it? If it can't because you want something else, that's fine. But if changing your approach to jiu-jitsu, like I never had the blue belt blues. Not that we've backpedaled the blue belt. I never had the blue belt blues because once I got to blue belt and purple belt, the way I looked at training was I'm just going to make the thing that I'm doing better. So it's like, all right, we're going to do Kimura from guard. And, and I don't remember ever thinking, fuck, not again. I literally just thought, I'm going to do this technique perfect every single time. And if I do one rep that's not perfect, like their posture is broken, their arm is totally isolated, I'm going to do it better next time. And like that's totally what carried me through like blue and purple belt because I realized I wasn't learning new stuff. Because again, we were still kind of in that area where videos weren't huge youtube wasn't huge there wasn't a lot of experimentation like i accidentally figured out de la Hiva guard and just kind of started playing it early on um but it was like just that like level of excitement of like something new focus change your focus change your perception change your goals and so eventually yeah i got my black belt from ishmael with a bunch of other guys like zach and um Zach and Enrique and um, 
See, I've had too much tequila. Okay. Corey. What? Oh, and Corey. 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 Right. April 6, 2019. That was my sixth day of jujitsu. Oh my! See, I don't even remember the day that's, I got well, because I I started April first just to keep that joke angle instead. Nah. In, in oh, case that's I right. Quit like a bitch, and then uh, there was a seminar like that weekend. Yeah, and that was that's when you guys came. Yeah, from yeah, and then you know, and then COVID hit like six or eight months later, yeah. and I was off the mat for like four hundred days or so, and now I'm back on the mat and then I blew my knee out so I'm like missing a bunch of cartilage how'd you blow your knee out I, uh, I remember it in communications and stuff yeah it was a takedown drill so was it was it Chris yeah oh, I thought I thought maybe that was a joke but Chris Claviter yeah uh blew out your blew knee me. okay let's I just mean put I blame that on. him let's it, yeah let's put it on record for sure yeah. so it was uh Ish said okay like start in a single leg they have a single leg and now finish the takedown or escape and I turned out of the single leg and like he had me by the ankle and I kind of was like hopping away and he kept just pursuing, which isn't wrong. He was. He was going for the takedown. But at some point, like, as I was hopping away, my left leg landed and must have landed weird, like, like on the outside of my foot or something, because my kneecap popped out again. And I just, like, dropped to the ground. And I think Chris didn't realize what happened. And I was laying there. He might have been like, ah, like, me pissed that he took me down or something. Um, but I was laying there. I'm like, this isn't right. And I kind of, like, made it over to the side of the mat. I got an ice pack and stuff. But I'm like this is worse than usual aches and pains. Then I got an MRI and the doctor's like, yeah, you see that empty space there and there that should be cartilage. And I'm like, Oh, how do you fix that? He's like, well, <laughs> uh, there's not a good answer. Well's not a good start. I know. Well, yeah. So although the, he did joke, do you have good insurance? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that's a horrible thing for a doctor to say. <laughs> It's not good enough, not for the potential like six to nine months layoff for a surgery that he's like, eh, it might work. I'm like, mm -hmm. ah, I'll just keep doing this until mm -hmm. I really need it. Um, and now I'm back on the mat like one day a week because my kiddos do stuff and I carpool. <laughs> uh, we glazed right the fuck past getting a black belt, though. Okay. Didn't we? I talked to like, well, and then we got a black belt. And then, uh, by the way, I hurt my knee. Oh, yeah. Well. I'm a black belt. What am I supposed to say? I don't know. Did it mean anything? Uh, my feelings about rank are very muddled. You said we were going to come back to this. I know afterwards. When, oh, about muddled. Well, yeah, off mic, I'll tell you more. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, because there's some stuff that just doesn't need public. See, this is my growth as a black belt. So I'm like, people don't need to hear all the things that I'm going to say. Um, I regularly tell people that the best version of this podcast is the hour and a half after we turn the recorder off. When there's all these things that I'm thinking about, like, oh, I shouldn't say that for public record, should I? Um, no, I mean, Black Belt, Black Belt didn't feel like anything. To be fair, though, so uh, most ranks didn't feel like anything to me for one reason or another. Like, Purple Belt didn't feel like anything because it was a little confusing because I'd only been a blue belt for a year. Like it felt like, holy shit, like this is weird, but I felt okay because I was doing really good in blue belt competitions locally. And then I, I went beyond locally and I was like, oh shit, I got to get a lot better. And brown belt didn't feel like much to me because you know I've been doing it for a purple belt for four years and I was just working really hard. And then, um, then I got my brown belt and my brown belt mindset just kind of turned into, I'm just going to start fucking up black belts as best as I can. And it's just going to be what it is. Like, so my goal basically just turned into any black belt I roll against. I'm going to make them realize that I've earned my next step. 
Because in my opinion, a brown belt is a black belt, actually. If you got to brown belt, you are just missing one like tiny facet of like probably time commitment to be a black belt. I don't think the changes that are happening during your brown belt are anything staggering whatsoever. I think a brown belt is basically just black belt minus time. The way I've heard it said is that like you're a fully formed sword. Yeah. It just needs like tempering and sharpening a little bit. Yeah. So like the the weird analogy I use, I use astrology for some reason or yes. astronomy. Astronomy. Oh, astronomy? Never mind. Sorry. I thought we were going astrology. We were going straight <laughs> science at first and then we decided to pull it back to that bullshit. So I look at jujitsu kind of like like looking at a sun. So like a white belt, like you're the sun. You're super bright. Like you're like excited. Everything's like eye opening. Like, oh my God, like the whole world is just like awash with colors and all of those poetic things that, you know, I spent so much money on as an undergrad. And, and then you start growing like as suns do and suns will grow and grow and grow until they supernova. And what I consider a supernova is actually purple belt because, and I consider that growth, the learning that's going on that as uh, up until like as a purple belt, you're continually still in that learning phase. There's always these little bits and pieces that you're like learning, but adding to what's going on. And then after that supernova, everything starts to collapse down again. And it collapses down and down and down and gets more and more and more dense until black belt is basically like this neutron star. It's this super dense, like insanely heavy thing, but like all that bright, shiny, extra stuff is gone. Like all that extra like knowledge, like did I learn single leg X and daily heave and all that stuff? Sure. Do I use it? Fuck no, I don't. But the rest of my game is super, super, super tight into what I know how to do, what I'm comfortable with, what I can implement on most other people I ever roll against. So yeah, so like tempering, like it's that same thing. It's that concept of you just got to tighten it up a little bit more. And for some people it's competition. Like for if you're brown belt and you're competing at the adult level at worlds or whatever, yeah, you, you still have something to prove, but look at how many brown belt world champions step up to black belt and are still fucking monsters, you know, like the meow step up or Keenan steps up and, or, or any of these like new generation, they step into black belt. Like it's nothing, you know, like they're ready. Like they're already there, but you know, they still spend years at it. Like it's just cause it's what one it's IBJJF standards, which are bullshit, which is a completely different conversation, but it's the way it is. And so, yes, it's just that there's that little thing missing. But once you get to, once you're at brown belt, I would look at anyone at brown belt. Like, I don't feel, I might feel a little bit self-conscious about tapping to a brown belt. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but like you're there. Like you are at that level. Like you can legitimately get me and have me be, not be like, yeah, but I was kind of lazy at this point or whatever. Like, I oh, know you just fucking got me. Like, I get it. Like you earned it. Two final questions. Ooh. First one, what's in your headphones when you show up to the gym? <laughs> That's not my question. I was I was asked to ask that. Sure. It depends on the day. Uh, my, my guess was nothing <laughs> because I'll do that too. I'll have headphones in with nothing uh, Sometimes I'll do that when I leave the gym. Um, so it depends on what track. It's usually Spotify. 
Uh, it is music, though. Usually, yeah. Okay, I guess podcasts, just because I know you're a podcast. I've done it not. before. Usually, I like listening to music beforehand because I spend so little time actually in the gym that I just like being in a good mindset to come and train. Gotcha. And a lot of times, the reason why I only do twice a week is because I try to train really hard, so my body does just hurt. Like, I don't have a lot of days where I leave the gym where I don't feel like I worked. Like, I'm going to work one way or another if I if I force the people I roll with to work or not. So, it depends. It I either have my BJJ track or my happy track. So they're completely different tracks. Like I might be listening to Cindy Lauper. So for example, my happy That was my second guess. Yeah. So my happy track has uh Toto Africa, best song of all time. It's definitely not, but go ahead. <sighs> Subjective, but you're wrong. Uh Take On Me by Aha, Cindy Lauper, uh Belinda Carlisle, Mark Cohen, Madonna. I have a thing for 80s music, if you haven't noticed. Mm-hmm. Little Ricky Martin, mm-hmm. Living La Vida Loca. Of course. Yeah. Black Velvet, good stuff. Ooh, Vanessa Williams, Saving the Best for Last. Which, in a podcast, this could sound like total bullshit, as opposed to you guys looking at yeah, me it, reading the you tracks pull, off my phone. They'll hear you lean to one side to get your phone out of your pocket. Yeah. yeah. Shallow by Lady Gaga, fucking beautiful. Yeah. Um, usually not the happy track. Sometimes, usually happy tracks on the way, too. Might be the Hamilton soundtrack. Big Hamilton fan. Yeah um what was the other track you mentioned oh just bjj track that's oh. stuff like um like lincoln park foo fighters sure. stuff like that gotta amp it up a little bit yeah which which like i hate tool i hate it it's so boring there's so many things you're wrong about but go ahead <laughs> yeah i'm looking at your beer selection you don't get to tell me what's wrong um accept it so I was, the gym music is not often to your liking well, yeah, so saying. most most bjj gyms i've ever been into the people like like people like listening to Tool. I hate it. It's too slow. Is that a common thing? Yes, that's interesting. It's very common. Yeah, I've, it's, it's a methodical, yes, uh, paced music. And so I, it sort of makes sense to jujitsu. Yeah, maybe. and I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like training to that level of music because I can't stand the idea of leaving the gym and not feeling exhausted. Sure. So yeah, I yeah. like like Offspring or Foo Fighters yeah. or or Linkin Park or something with a higher tempo. It's gonna push you to move faster and yeah, get, get and tired. anything so and because everyone. Whether they realize it or not, everybody does move faster when that oh, music yeah. switches. 100%. And I prefer that. Now, granted, it will also probably depend on the partner I'm rolling with. If I feel safe with someone who, tra- who moves at a faster pace. Um, but if I don't feel comfortable with it, I'll usually slow them down. So, But I like also doing jiu-jitsu at a faster pace because I get so bored. Like, do, like someone holding side control is the most mind-numbing thing in the world to me. Which is one why it's so hard to get me inside control or hold me there because I hate it and I've gotten so used to getting out of it. <laughs> sure, but it's so like, and that's why more often than not, if I pass somebody's guard, I almost never stay inside control because I'm bored there too, and I don't want them to be as bored as I am. Sure. So I'll move to neon belly or mount <laughs> break or, the sternum. Yeah, neon sternum. Still, <laughs> hey, still one of my still one of my proudest achievements in jujitsu, and you can look this up on YouTube is Kurt Osiander used to do a move of the week back before he entered rehab and had all of his issues. And if you look up Neon Belly, Kurt Osiander, the question that's submitted was submitted by an old student of mine because he couldn't get out from my... And he and he called and he asked Kurt Osiander, how do you get out of Neon Chest? And Kurt Osiander goes, I think you mean Neon Belly. And the funny thing is, my son's like, no, Neon Chest, because I don't do Neon Belly. Neon Chest is a lot more effective and painful. So it's forever like documented, at least on YouTube, that like my student went out, reached out to Kurt Osiander to try and figure out how to get out of my Neon Chest or Neon 
I like to say neon heart just because it's so much more painful. <sighs> yeah, it sounds better. Yeah. Neon, Plus, Neon, Neon Heart sounds like an awesome band name. It does, yeah. <laughs> Particularly from the era you apparently really like. Fucking ain't right. Uh, this one sounds like it won't be a simple answer from you, but oh, advice for different belt levels? Oh. Um, I mean, we're at Joe Rogan length podcast interview at this point anyway, aren't we? My wife's probably I'm not worried about length. I mean, I'm sure you are, but. My wife, well, my wife is. Yeah, yeah. For so many reasons. <laughs> right, right. Whatever one you want to fill in the blank with. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, white belt, white belt to blue belt. So, advice for a white belt is just show up. Doesn't matter. You suck. Listen, people will probably tell you this one way or another, or you'll tell yourself you're not good at jujitsu. You're just not, and that's fine. Nobody's supposed to be good at or great at anything in the first year they're doing it. If they are it's probably not that challenging. And if it's not that challenging, why are you still doing it? Like it should feel difficult. Um, you're not that good. Don't act like you're that good. Don't try and convince other people you're that good. Just accept you're learning. That's fine. Uh, blue belt, reevaluate why you're doing jujitsu. Just like the moment you find out you're going to get your blue belt, the moment you get it tied on your, around your waist, whatever, ask yourself why you're still doing it. And if you don't need to ask, if you're like, cause I fucking love jujitsu, perfect but if you ask yourself that question before you start to hit that wall you're either going to get through that wall a lot easier or you're going to save yourself a lot of pain in the process just say like why am i doing this because i want to get my black belt that's a completely valid answer but you're going to have to ask yourself that question a few years down the line again if it's well because i want to get my black belt purple belt i guess my advice would be pick the thing you're the worst at and make it your best thing. So when I was a purple belt, my absolute worst thing was passing guard. And all I did was fight to sweep to get back on top. I cannot st- I hate fighting from my back. And it's not partially because, you know, I'm six foot, about 200 pounds. So usually when I compete, it's around guys. It's usually around like the 185 class or something like that. So I don't have to cut very much weight. Like if I'm walking at like 190 or whatever, it's not a huge cut. But I go against some guys where I step across from them, they're like three inches shorter than me and like a foot and a half wider. And I'm just like, how am I going to deal with you? Like you're just, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'll tell a funny, embarrassing story real quick. And I apologize for the tangent, but it's worth it. So I was doing, this was the first Naga I was at Purple Belt. And I, it was expert division. And I had done a sub hunt where I went against a guy who didn't have a shirt on and he was super slippery. I could not get him in anything. Like I couldn't get any grips. There was no gi. Like it was just slipping out, slipping out, slipping out. So after that, I told myself, well, if they're not going to wear a rash guard, neither am I, because I don't want them to have the advantage of the rash guard, like traction or whatever. So this was implemented at Naga in Vegas. And I go against this guy, maybe two inches shorter than me look like a fucking bodybuilder. Like it was ridiculous. He took his shirt off and I was just like, what is, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, but I'm like, but I, but I have this thing in my head where I'm like, okay, well I'm going to take my shirt off. Cause I don't want him to have the advantage when it starts to get sweaty. <laughs> We're standing out there. I take my rash guard off and throw it to the side. The referee looks over at me, looks me up and down and said, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, well, 
you just ruined my day. <laughs> and he wasn't wrong. But, yeah, yeah. but and then I ended up beating the guy, which made me feel really good. But I was like, God damn it. <laughs> so for all these like 10 years later, so I still remember the ref who looked at me without a shirt on and just don't do that. <laughs> um, but purple, but uh, purple belts make your worst thing your best thing i was horrible at guard passing uh, and so i don't like being on the bottom especially in nogi because in competitions against guys my size it's really fucking hard to get out from underneath these big strong guys and guys that are almost always stronger than me when i'm in these divisions so my focus is always on sweep and pass sweep and pass sweep and pass like maybe i'll start from my back but if they do take me down it's immediately sweep like no complacent work of guard sweep get on top and I just drilled it into my head. So now it's just like, if you close your guard around me, either one, I was being lazy or just letting you play or whatever, or two, I, every time that happens, I think I failed. Like it's a failure to me if you close, close guard on me, because one, I have to open your closed guard now, which especially Nogi sucks. But two, I shouldn't have let you get to a dominant position. Like I should have been passing as you were trying to do that. So in my head, it just turned into, I can't pass. And I can't sweep, so I'm going to be the best I possibly can at it. And it completely changed my game. But it also opened my eyes. And then, so once I got to brown belt, it just, I guess my advice would be fuck up black belts. Like literally find them. Find them and test yourself. I don't care. Maybe this is maybe this is really bad advice and like the antithesis of what it should be. But This is tequila advice for brown belts. Yeah. But you're, you're a brown belt. You, you are almost as good as you're going to be. So test yourself. Stop finding white belts. Stop rolling with blue belts. If, you, if they ask you to, if there's no other partners, fine. Don't argue it. Don't say no. Like just yes. Unless you think they're dangerous or spazzy mm-hmm. and then find another way around it. But find them. Intentionally find the people that are the most difficult person for you to roll with in the gym and acknowledge that they can beat you and keep rolling with them until they can't. Like that is how you sharpen at that level. You have to find, you will only get better by by competing against a better opponent like it's just how it is you'll never be the best if you don't have great training partners so my advice is it's a nicer version test yourself daily like make it difficult and i do this i still do this to this day where if ishmael's like all right uh upper belt gets to pick the position whatever i will pick either the other person starts in mount or they start on my back and maybe I lose, maybe they arm bar me. Fine. I don't care, but I'm going to make it as difficult as it possibly can be for me to get better in the worst positions I can find. Cause I don't want to start in my best position. Like that's, that's a completely different game to me. Like I want to get be- good at my bad position. And if I fail at my bad position, that's okay too. Cause I'm going to try and get it better. And if like, if I start basically like with a circled up legs, like in a triangle, like minus my arm being across, I right, get out it's going to happen sometimes but if you never put yourself there then how are you what are you going to do when you actually are there and black belts just get over yourselves i say that to me too like black belt you're not important you're not nearly as important as you think you are just because you survived like just because life allowed you to get the black belt doesn't make you special like it makes you fortunate it does not make you special because there's a lot of amazingly talented grapplers out there that could not keep going because something happened in their lives. And just because you made it doesn't make you better than them. It doesn't make you better than the white belt who just stepped on the mat either. Like sometimes just put yourself aside, 
Like, I get it. If you show up and you just want to train because you're going to compete, I get not wanting to teach someone to do something, finding your partners, your other competitive partners to roll with. I get that. But if someone's fucking struggling, just help them. It's not hard. And frankly, ask yourself if you can't help them, why not? Why can't you teach them how to do that? Like if you can't teach them how to do that, how do you think you're going to get better yourself? Or what, what are your goals in jujitsu? You think you're going to be an instructor having never taught someone how to do an arm bar? That's going to be a really rough fucking first day you open up that gym. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, you, you can call it being humble if you want to. I think, I think being humble makes it sound too nice. Like just don't be a piece of shit. And I'd say that for every level. Like just be cool with the person who's on the mat. And not only be cool with them on the mat, when you're not on the mat with them, just fucking be cool with them. And if you're not, then don't train with them. Like if you don't like that person, you don't have to train with them. There's people I have stopped training with because I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe that you just fill in the blank with something after the podcast. But it's like, I didn't realize that you were this person. Like I can't, I don't respect you. I'm not gonna train with you because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna risk making you better. Like, I'm not going to be the person you hone like your edge against if I don't respect who you are. Right. So, so yes, just chill the fuck out. It's just a game we play. It's a game we pay to play. It's not life or death, but at the same time, it can also be the best thing in your life. But it's, it's the little things you learn along the way, self-confidence, community, uh, empathy, strategy, things like that, that help you reevaluate who you are as a person and where you are in life. And unfortunately, sometimes it makes people pieces of shit too. It just is. And we have to acknowledge it. We can't ignore it. Like we have to be like, just because you're a black belt or a world champion doesn't make you a good fucking person. Like there's plenty of black belts and upper levels and great competitors that I'm like, oh my God. Like you're, how did you get, who broke you? Like, how did this happen? And it's a fucking bummer that nobody told you until now that you're a piece of shit. Um, because sometimes, you know, the best of us need, need to be say, Hey, you're being a piece of shit. Knock it off. My wife still does it. Okay. Like, hey, stop it. <laughs> I'll be like, you're right. <laughs> Good call. Cool. Anything else? I don't know. Are we going to do your weird cold outro where all of a sudden it just ends? Mm -hmm. That's not weird. That's the future. <laughs> I have to completely change my entire business. Plan. Mm -hmm. Shit. Cool. Thanks, brother. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs>